band? Talk radio? Yes, talk radio. It's so boring, man. Okay. Hello, and welcome to yet another riveting episode of Laced Up a Garments Podcast. The date today is Friday, the 4th of June, 2021. I am the man in the green girdle, James Cole, and joining me as always is my steadfast associate, Buttons Bedazzlia. Now, Buttons, last week uh, we had a spirited debate over the controversy of vacuum sealing one's garments. I would like to point out that while some harsh vocabulary was exchanged, I'm happy to see you back with us today. Yeah, I'm sorry you lost your knickers. All in good fun, all in good fun. On today's episode, however, we will be covering a wide variety of folding techniques. And speaking of folding, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Oh, God. Yeah. You know, you're not known for your segues, but your Mm. intro was good. Thanks. We should maybe consider the garment thing full time, is what you're saying. Yeah. What do you think of the old-timey voice? Well, I got That's... lots of time on my... Oh, it was good. Bring that no, back. I thought it was good. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. No, for sure. Okay. I'm Buttons Bedazzlia of the high button. <laughs> I didn't even put that together, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that works out. <sighs> How you doing? Well... You good or what? It's been a few days. I've had time to process. Uh, yeah. You know, so that's yeah. Like that's. I mean, you know, we got to look for silver linings here. Like the only good thing about that happening on a what was it a Monday? Yes. And it's Thursday. Or it's coming out on a Friday. We've had time to breathe. Time to drink, which is nice. Yeah. Oh yeah. I got loaded on a work night, which I never do. Uh, I felt I felt good the next day. You know, like I... not just not like I had just like it was not like it was even just therapeutic. I legitimately had no hangover. I slept well. I felt amazing, and I—I I, don't get me wrong. I got that's drunker than I've been in a while. Now you know, you know, like to speak to that a little bit because I, I got good and loaded that night as well. Hey, just, there we go. Cheers. I'm getting loaded tonight too. By the way, nice. by the way, because we got to talk about this still. Mm. So I um I was a little disappointed. I'm not gonna lie. Tuesday morning, I woke up about the game. Oh, okay, yeah. No hangover. <laughs> like I, I kind of almost you almost wanted, wanted the worst day to be yeah. the next day to be as bad as possible. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of disappointed in myself that I, I, I could have gotten drunker, you know. You know like, <laughs> but yeah, like that's I was going to bed and I'm like, you know what? Like I feel like it's like two thirty. I got to be up for like nine. I'm like this is all right. Like I'm probably gonna feel bad, but whatever. Like this will be okay. Stop drinking now though, so yeah. that way you feel okay. And I woke up the next morning and realized how much I drank, and I'm like, I have never felt that good after drinking that amount. And I'm and I'm, that's pretty good for 28. You know, it normally goes bad. backwards. That's so. not bad. Um, I'm Benjamin Buttons Bedazzlia. <laughs> Benjamin Buttons Bedazzlia. Yeah. That's that's exactly it. Uh, now here's the good news. Here's the good news is I know everyone listening um, understands that you and I are Leaf fans, mm-hmm. and probably have anymore. checked in today. Solely for that purpose, to an extent, to hear how we're going to spin this. I realize that this is a dangle situation where people listen just to hear the pain. And that's exactly why we brought in two different guests <laughs> to do all the heavy lifting for us. Um, that's right. 
So we'll talk about it, you and I. But yeah, we got we got a couple of fun guests that are going to come up on the on, on this this episode, and had a lot of fun talking to them about the Toronto Maple Leafs. I guess is the word I'm going to choose to use there. But um, yeah, we should have had them on at like a happier time, but it was still pleasant. A happier time? What is that? What what is what is that in Leaf World? Like the third week of October. We talk about it a little bit with Hobson. Like, I don't even look at the 2013 collapse as, like, being that bad because, like, I'm just happy we took that to seven games and we're leading with, like, eight minutes left. Like, I'm the I'm the, I'm the the optimist on that one. Hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Fuck the Bruins. They were bad enough to make that happen. Fuck them. I'm, I'm, grasping, I'm grasping for straws here. I understand that, but... So, where, where were we in the series last week when, grasping we, when we talked to everybody? It was game... Oh, uh, we were... I think to it watch was, game five? It was the night of game five, and I and I laughingly said that the series was over. That's what I said. I understand that. I own it. I'm on my third Moscow Mule, so I'm doing fine. Uh, the Leafs would go on to lose that game 4-3 to three in overtime, despite a valiant comeback uh, after being down 3 nothing mm-hmm. in the first period. Um, game six, they go to Montreal. There's some fans in the building. They once again go down uh, early and have to fight back, and they go to overtime, and they look uh, very dominant in overtime, but uh, once again lose the game. And that brings us to game seven, in which, uh, once again, we allowed these poor, poor frontline workers into the building for some reason to, to watch a, a three-to-one loss. And uh, there was no comeback in that one. And uh, there was no coming back... Uh, for the season, as, as that spelled the end of what was, by all accounts, the most successful season in Toronto Maple Leaf history. Um, take me through, like, obviously you and I watched Game 5 together, but take me through your Games 6 and 7, because I I know how I felt, and I know how I reacted watching those games, but just <clears throat> give me give me the full Buttons experience. Yeah. Uh, well, game six, I started about an hour and a half after everyone else because I was golfing. Um, I golfed till about 8.30 and I started the game around 9. And when I do that, which I only only really do that for the playoffs, I turned my phone off completely. And so, um... I watched it in the seclusion of my room with literally no one else. Like no like you know you know when you watch a game by yourself but you're still texting a buddy or something about the game? Checking Twitter. I watched yeah. this by myself completely. No Twitter, no nothing, like cut off from the outside world. So I felt great, to be honest with you. Like even though they came out of the gates uh pretty slow, I I sorta of just thought I'm like like I just thought the series was over, but I thought it was over for game five too. So I watched it alone. Um, and I, I think I kind of got caught up before the game ended because I was on Twitter at the time of the goal. And, um, yeah, it was, it was not pleasant. I, again, I don't, I, I, I always say this, like, I, I think relative to Leafs Nation, I'm somewhat of an optimist when it comes to this team. I think I was one of the few when they lost that game. But I was still kind of like, I don't understand how this team possibly loses three games in a row to Montreal. I just, I don't understand it. And, you know, uh, analytics point to it not happening. Uh, common fucking sense points to it not happening. The only thing you could say 
is that it's the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I, I am so, I, I, for a while, was so done with that narrative where it's just like, but eventually, like, how good does a team fucking gotta be to finally win in this market? And apparently, uh, the answer is a lot better than this one. So, uh, game seven, uh, I was pretty dejected the whole time. I, about five minutes into that game, I thought, this is still doable, but I know when that team's off, and I just found it hard to believe that it was going to happen. I watched the entirety of that third period in my mind knowing that there was no way in hell that they were winning the game, but that I had watched other than 60 minutes of the Jets game to end the season. I watched the entirety of this team's season, every shift, every second, every game. I just thought, just enjoy it. Whatever. You're not going to watch this team play for a while. Even if this third period sucks, just enjoy who's there and how kind of cool it was to have some of these guys on the team. So, with the most negative sort of underlyings there, by saying that I knew it was over, I was still enjoying it. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, that that is the most, like, mature way to handle a sports team losing I think I've ever heard in my life. I, like... I was the complete opposite. Here's something that I give a lot of Leaf fans, and I understand. Like, I have it, I think, a little easier than most Leaf fans, in a way. Because I watched three other major team sports in North America. And two of my three other favorite teams have been insanely dominant in my lifetime. One insanely. The other pretty damn good. The Raptors won a championship a couple years ago. I mean, I hopped on that bandwagon maybe five, six years ago. But, like, whatever. I saw them win. This is the only team that disappoints me. And even though they're the only team that I invest every minute of my time watching that I can, I I, I think, like, there's a silver lining for me with some of these other things because I'm not used to disappointment all around. Whereas, like, a lot of people just, like, this is, the, this is the sport they watch and this is the only team they've got and all they know is disappointment. And, like, I don't quite have that. Having said that, this team makes me quite miserable, but... Yeah, if, if I hadn't watched the Raptors win with my own two eyes, I would have assumed the city itself was the curse, not so much the sports teams within it, but, um, yeah, no, you know what, honestly, like, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to kind of hear that, that that was your reaction to Game 7, because I, once, once neither team scored in that first period. When I, it actually ended, yeah. I was pretty miserable for about half an hour, but I did something that I've never done by myself before. Uh, I took a couple shots. I've never... Uh, that Put it this way. I've never drank to like actually get drunk by myself ever. Mm. And I did on Monday night. So that helped too. <laughs> game, game 6 was a, a roller coaster for myself. Um, they, they do the comeback thing. And and I'm, I'm so sure that they're going to... Like, I've never been more sure that a team... Like, okay, they had the comeback last game. It made sense. They go to right? overtime... Bad giveaway in overtime, they lose. Okay, whatever. They go to game six, they're down again, the comeback's on. Wow, okay, we're not gonna have that giveaway again. Like, I, I was I was warning people that when, you know, if, if I'm if I'm very loud in the next like twenty to thirty minutes, uh, I'm sorry if I wake you because Were you was, at home by yourself? No, I was I was at my girlfriend's You're place. At, okay. And it was like, please let your parents know that if 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 they hear me yell, it's a good thing, and I'm sorry I've woken you because that's how sure it's gonna I was. Happen, though, right. And then that overtime starts, and they're flying, and it's like, oh buddy, it's coming, and you're like, every shot they take, you're getting more and more excited. One bad turnover, it's in the back of the net. Like it was just so bizarre. 
to watch that ending. And, and as soon as that game ended, I had very little confidence for Game 7. And, yeah, I, I think Game 6 was... like I'll, I'll give the Habs some credit. I, I didn't really think the Leafs were going to close it in Game 5. I was I was hopeful, but I didn't I didn't really believe it. I thought ah the Habs are gonna just Carey Price is just gonna have a game sure. or something. But I, in my mind, it was like yeah, Game Six. That's that's the one. That's the that's the game we're gonna do it in. And everything told me that I watched that it was gonna happen until it didn't. Yeah, yeah. So did we you talk- did you want to touch any more on the games themselves, kind of thing? I don't think so. The, like- the the thing the thing that I had the two takeaways I had well, well one takeaway but two events. Was that like you can you can look at this at this series and kind of say, well, if the Galchenyuk turnover doesn't happen, there's a really good chance that that maybe they finish them off that night. Maybe not. But game six, coin like flip. game, game yeah. six, you have to say like if that puck doesn't go in the net, wh- what percent chance do Montreal have a win in that fucking game at that point? Yeah. Five in a fifty-fifty normal situation. Like Toronto destroyed them in that overtime. So it's two kind of things that lead to this moment where it's just kind of like, well, if if one thing goes the other way, like we could easily be, easily be having a different conversation. The problem I have with that narrative is that Toronto put themselves in that situation where one play could change the game. And that's the problem I had with everything, right? It was just like, well, yeah, Galchenyak knows better. Like, like people were on Bogosian for that pinch. I don't agree with that. I, I think that's on Galchenyak to know in that minute that Bogosian's down there. Maybe Bogosian's problem that he doesn't pinch very often. That you know what I mean. Like maybe Galchenyuk's not expecting that. Yeah. But Galchenyuk's a fucking twenty-seven-year-old NHL player who's been around for nine years. Like he knows better than that. So he fucks up. And then Dermot's a guy who maybe is rusty, shouldn't be making that turnover. But but he also doesn't do things like that. And then Bogosian gets a fucking part of that puck where he's trying to make the make the block in a situation where maybe he shouldn't have. Like I don't know. It was just. It's all these things where you can pick apart those little seconds, but it's like those are two plays over the course of three games. Let me do the ma- like almost 140 minutes of hockey after that overtime right. period, right? We should it shouldn't be coming down to shit like that. Like this is a team that has supposedly the second best player in the fucking world going into that series is, is was the narrative. Mitch Marner who other people seem to argue that Austin Matthews only good because Mitch Marner's so good. One of them's got to be fucking good. One of them's unbelievable. Pit whichever one you want to pick with. Like, it doesn't matter. These are two guys that are supposed to fucking get it done. They didn't get it done. Now we're going to fucking overtime, and here we are. Yeah. And it's little shit from your depth players that fucking blow it. But, like, we shouldn't be there. Like, that that's not where we should be. We sh- The game should have been wrapped up. So, it was very leafy in that sense, where it was just like... It seemed like it was two plays but it was also three games you know mm-hmm. we talk about it with I think both of our guests but um, obviously every team goes through injuries and you have to adjust but is this is this series even close if, if John Tavares is eaten up 18 20 minutes a night here's the problem is the first four games of this series uh, well three of the first four anyway were not fucking close to begin with you know what I mean? The games where Montreal won, it was like a 50-50 game. Yeah. The games where Toronto won, they slaughtered the Canadians at 5-on-5 five five kind of thing. And, yeah, if Tavares is there, you have to think, like, it draws attention away from Matthews, and, and then your unit that's not out there against the Deneau line 
is Nylander and Galchenyuk and fucking and Tavares. Mm-hmm. They're gonna kill them. So I mean, I like I, I'm not backing down from that take. I never will. That Toronto easily on paper should have won this series. I'll, I'll never say the other thing. But I mean, you know, how many excuses have we really got to come up with? Too. You shouldn't need one guy to beat this Montreal team, is my point. Yeah. My hat goes off to them, though. I'll, I'll say that much. I think Montreal, they found a way to win, and they did it. And They were good a lot of the first half of the year. Like, yeah. I don't, still don't think that, that, that good, was the one. They're up one nothing right now as we record, too. That, that was the one team going into the playoffs that I didn't want to play. And I know on paper it didn't make sense. And I know... You know, everything said that the Leafs are going to win that series, but for whatever, I would have rather play Edmonton in the first round than than Montreal. It's just something inside of me, watching mm-hmm. some of those games that they played against each other during the season. Montreal always seemed to have an answer at the right time, um, say for two or three games. But yeah, it is what it is. And I don't think Montreal's as bad as their regular season indicates. They no, were. They, I don't think so either. I I think I think Ducharme's an idiot. Uh, now I never used to, but I, I don't really like what he's done coaching that team. And and then you also have to look at like a bunch of the decisions he made as a coach, though. That I don't know, they worked out. Should they have worked out? Like maybe not. But do they work out against a lot of other teams in the league? Maybe not. But you know, do you read it as Montreal being good, or do you read it as Toronto fucking the series up? And I think it's more the latter. Uh, our first guest uh, with us on this today's episode is uh, Kate Atkinson. Um, notoriously famous on uh, on Twitter for attending uh, Game Six uh, while living in Montreal. Uh, you can find her on uh, at CSA Leafs, and uh, yeah, uh, here's our our time with her. Hi, Kate. Kaylin Atkinson is joining us, and for whatever reason, has made the uh, poor life decision, like many of us, to become a Toronto Maple Leaf fan, and uh, I'm sure. This week, among among the worst, I'm I'm gonna imagine for for most of us, Kate. Yeah, it's been a, a particularly difficult one. Though I think I, I, we're choosing when I cemented my least fandom. It was really the 2013 series. So, oh great, all I've known is pain. Yeah, see that that's the crazy part for me is like talking to the new Leaf fans. Where it's like I get I get the people who just like freak out at every little thing now, because it's like, if you've started cheering for the team the last seven or eight years, there at least has been hope met with disappointment. Whereas I'm used to like the late two thousands where there was no hope really. It's like, here's uh, an old guy who used to be a good coach. He's going to coach the team now. And it's like, Oh, this is cool. And then uh, here's an old guy that used to play for Montreal. We're going to give him like $20 million to play here. And it's like, ah, I like Mike Commissaric. And uh, those things didn't work out. It wasn't great. So, like, I'm used to the disappointment, I think. My dad used to get tickets to the Leafs games when they were really bad, like, late 2000s. And right. I just wasn't young enough to realize how bad they were. So, That's I've been good. a fan of the team for a while, but I could I was only gonna say, like, really if, grasp. If, yeah, like, for, for me, when I first started watching the Leafs, it was, like, those years in the early 2000s where they they made the playoffs and you're, like, young and shiny and dumb and you're like wow this is great it's gonna happen every year and then the bad things happened and i I, never left i will never forget being at your house watching the leafs lose in the second round to philadelphia in 2004 and you and i having a legitimate conversation mind you we were like 10 years old 
about how we can't do this anymore. I can't be a fan of this team anymore. This team, it just, they keep letting us down. And it's like, wow, those were the fucking glory days, baby. Like if we knew at the time that we were living in that, I, I would give anything to go back to losing to Philadelphia in the second round. That'd be great. Well, this has been uplifting. Yeah, a second round. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Second round loss to Winnipeg this year would have been fantastic. <laughs> would have been awesome. It'd be great. Like, cool, whatever. Like, I don't know how to explain it, but whatever. We, we'll we, we, it. We'd be talking about this team as, like, is this the greatest Leaf team since the uh, 67 Cup if they won a round? Like, that's, that's, how, that's how thin the line is, I think. It did seem like – no, and I, I had the – the charts going where I was, you know, who could the Leafs face in the third round? Right. That might've been a little presumptive. I'll admit. Well, you taught some people some lessons because I guess people didn't seem to understand how the playoff format worked, which is fair because I don't know if the NHL ever actually explained uh, how it was really going to work. It felt like it was just kind of assumed. I don't know. Um, So you, you started cheering for the Leafs, because your dad is a Leafs fan? Yeah. Both of my parents were, were pretty big Leafs fans growing up. So I did just watch them. And then I got attached really in that whole 2013 series, but right. they were definitely huge influences growing up. The team was fun. I do own a Joffrey Lupel Jersey and I feel like I'm probably one of the only people that will admit that. I, I am curious though, because you, from what I gather from your Twitter account, you uh, are not from Montreal, but you currently live in Montreal. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. I, uh, I grew up in Toronto. I grew up in Mississauga, um, huh. but I, I went to Montreal for school and I, I'm starting a job here next week. So now I'm kind of permanently uh, in enemy, enemy tor- territory. Mm-hmm. What is that's, that? That's like? a scary place to be. I would, I would feel. Yeah. This week, especially, it's the heartbreak of the loss is hard enough, but now going outside and seeing all the Hab signs, Hab hats, Habs jerseys is definitely a little disheartening, one might say, but yeah. <sighs> yeah. I talked a big game on Twitter, so now I got to deal with it, I guess. <laughs> well, what's the point of being a Leafs fan if you're not going to talk a big game, right? I know like when I was in, uh, I went to the World Juniors in 2008, 2009, whatever it was. And uh, that was in Ottawa. And in my hotel, uh, it just so happened that like the Canadian parents there, they were staying in the same hotel as us. So that was kind of weird. But um, like this was like a, a, a Team Canada sort of feeling like the, around the hotel, everyone was very chummy. Everyone was going to the tournament. And my dad walks down on the Saturday to go to the front desk kind of thing. He's wearing his Leafs jersey. And I told him, I'm like, this is going to be, this might be a mess. Like you got to be prepared for this. So he's going through the front desk and literally there was like five guys that start shouting at him about how uh, this is Senator country and go back home kind of thing. And they were like, they were being funny about it kind of thing. And literally PK Subban's dad uh, was like very reassuring to my dad about this kind of thing. And I'm just kind of sitting there. I'm like, you know, I don't really know if the Senators are like the kind of fan base that should be talking about it because we had beat them like four out of six series kind of thing or, or whatever, or four times in six years kind of thing, you know, and we're just getting chirped by them. Like, who the fuck are they? But when you're living in Montreal, you don't really have that. <laughs> Haven't beat them. No, if we're, 
if we're doing a historical argument, they've got me beat there too. So mm-hmm. it's it's tough to to argue, though. I think it helps. A lot of people feel kind of bad picking on a girl, which you know, sexism is bad, but it protects yeah. me a little bit in that regard. Yeah, I'll allow it. Do do Montreal Canadiens fans use the historical argument a lot? I've I've never God, never heard that. that <laughs> Sorry, had you heard that they've actually won the most cups? Ever in this league? Did you did you know that? You know they should almost do something with like a, a a torch at center ice and 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 every year explain to us why they're they're so much better than the rest of us. Um, so I'll, I'll jump in with a question here, quick for you, um, because I know up here in Thunder Bay, which is uh, very isolated and uh, we don't get to have nice things, uh, there was lots of talk about how outrageous. The prices were for the uh, game six in Montreal. Now I'm not going to ask you to get in, into the, the numbers here, but what was the, what was the process for you as a Leaf fan trying to get tickets uh, to that game? Cause I imagine it, it couldn't have been easy. They probably weren't just handing them out to whoever wanted one. They, honestly, they kind of were. I, okay. I, I like, yes, I had to pay a lot of money for them for sure. And I'll admit that I don't want to, you know, hide that fact, but um, I have the Habs apps downloaded on my phone, just right. I downloaded it onto my phone after they announced that there was a possibility of fans for game six. So I knew kind of how that app worked. As soon as game five ended, I thought I'm going to check and see if they've got them released. So I did. And there were some tickets available all expensive and you had to buy two to go. So I wound up buying two and then I found someone later on to go with me um, and absorb the cost of that ticket, which was super helpful to me. And then we met up and went to the game together. So that, it was a really fun experience. I'll, I'll say that. Um, sucks the Leafs couldn't pull through, but um, in terms of process, they did make it pretty easy for people to get tickets provided again provided you were going to spend the money financial yeah what uh i mean because i've never been to the bell center it's one of those places where i've always wanted to go and i've I've actually never been to montreal um but i am curious what what the atmosphere was like and another thing like too is it was hard to gauge on television how like what was the ratio leafs to habs fans because that was another thing too they kept showing leafs 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 but like i don't know how much of that was um, Sportsnet trying to milk it. So, like, what, what would you say? Like, what was it like being there? I'm jealous, is what I'm saying. <laughs> it it was really fun. Um, in terms of the ratio, I would say definitely more Habs fans than Leafs fans. That being said, I think you get 30% Leafs fans, maybe. Like, it wasn't it's pretty good. glaring. Like, there were quite a few. If I were to note something kind of anecdotally, from what I saw, it looked like there were more Leafs fans in the lower bowl than the upper bowl. Um, just by like in terms of observation, I have no idea how I would, you know, back that up. Um, but just in terms of atmosphere, it did very much feel like every single fan was the annoying guy that sits four seats behind you and chirps the entire game. You know what I mean? Like we were all that annoying fan and every single one of us were throwing death glares and we were all (laughs) a little mad at each other. But we were also all just so excited to be there that I think that there was a little bit of sense of like, this does mean more than just a hockey game. And it's really yeah. cool that we all get to be here. However, 
I still want my team to win. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like it's, I would imagine kind of surreal too, for a lot of those people, like the first time that you're able to do anything like that. Right. And mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of pent up frustration, even if it were just a regular playoff game without a pandemic kind of thing. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it seemed, it seemed like a really good atmosphere. Like it was, I was surprised uh, 2,500 people in, like a rink that fits 21,000 people, how loud it actually seemed to be on TV. I don't know how much they really pumped it up, but it seemed, it seemed like it was a bell center atmosphere to some degree anyway. Yeah. I mean, I think we, Quebec came out of their curfew May 28th, May 28th was the last day. So, I mean, for a lot of us, it's the first time we've been out past 10 PM in Mm. five months. So everyone was just really excited to have somewhere to go I think so I don't think that there was too much noise pumped in just because it it was very loud I'll full credit like to the fans there everyone was really passionate and I think that was a really fun thing to see moving on maybe from game six because I I would hate to just keep that wound open and keep pouring the salt in um obviously the bad thing happened in game seven Brody goal happened to deal with that. that was cool well that was that was nice that was nice yeah um so yeah obviously the bad thing happens in game seven and uh we all have to soak it in for a couple days and then uh today they had all the media stuff with everybody cleaning out the lockers and and going home and stuff like that what what do you think as a leaf fan um what's your perspective on on what needs to happen moving forward because i've like i'm sure you've seen it i know both of us have seen it Uh, all this talk about uh, this has to change. This has to change. This guy has to get fired. This guy has to get traded. Um, I'm I'm trying to stay somewhat level-headed and calm and just take maybe a month off and, and come back and, and, and look at this. But I know it happened today. So so what do you think next season looks like? I think, you know, I've said a few times, you could, if you're trading anyone from the core, I think it should be Mitch Marner. That said, I'm not super keen on the idea of trading him, nor do I think the management group is. And I think they kind of made that clear today. So you don't, you don't make the trade just to make the trade. So if you are keeping the core together, I think you need to work on bringing in some level of leadership, possibly, I not possibly, I want Jason Spezza back very badly. Um, But I think you can bring in, and I think you have some leadership there, but I think you need to start getting younger guys going and stop trying to focus so much on bringing in veterans that will help your team right now. Even if that means, you know, we go a couple more years with a real cup run. I think if you look at like Colorado's model, they've really prioritized drafting and picking up good prospects and, you know, growing them in their system and I don't think they've made a ton of massive trades. So they did make some, but um, I think they've got a young team and I think they've done a good job of developing that team. And I think that the Leafs have some prospects in their system that could see ice time and should see ice time so that you're not playing Rasmus Sandin 10 games in the last 15 of the season and then expecting him to take on a huge role in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, even to that point, too, like, because that's going to be the huge conversation, at least the next couple weeks before everybody calms down is, you know, what do you do with Mitch Marner? Because he's he's the obvious candidate right now. And it's just 
like even comparing it to Colorado, right? Like if, if they're going to go and trade Mitch Marner, like they're going to need to get Sam Gerard, Bowen Byram type return out of it. And I don't know that there are teams lining up to give you a plethora of guys for him at that salary when they know that you're in a desperate position. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like going in and, and being like, we're going to move Mitch Marner. It, it almost seems like a panic move. And if I'm another general manager, like I don't really know that I'm going to pay maybe exactly what Mitch Marner is probably worth for him, you know? And, and that's the problem is just, is he worth $11 million? Like probably not, but does that mean that he's a bad player? Like obviously not. Yeah. And I think if you, if you trade Mitch Marner at the end of the regular season, you've got a ton of teams lining up because it seems like it doesn't seem like a panic move at the end of the regular season where he had a great season, given the way the playoffs went and the way people have reacted, then you move him right now. And the other gyms in the league are going to short you regardless because they know that it's a, it's a trade because you just want to change something. Right. And it doesn't make sense. The, uh, the management side of things, obviously there's been some heat around Kyle Dubas, Brendan Shanahan, even who's, I mean, we're what, seven years now into the, the Shanna plan, I think. Um, Sheldon Keefe even's getting some, some flack. Um, I would have to think all those guys are going to be safe and, and back next year. Like I, I think Kyle Dubas by all accounts did a, a, a fantastic job um, addressed a lot of the needs that he needed to address while still finding a way to, you know, get under the cap. Um, but the question remains, like, are, are these the guys that, you know, have, have the faith of the fans? And if not, like, I know for whatever reason, uh, Jeremy Rutherford's name is, uh, being tossed around as, as, as the guy that should be coming in. Bruce, Bruce Boudreaux as a coach, as a guy that should be coming in, um, like, the players, they come and go every year. We we get used to that as fans, but the the coach, the GM, you know, the president, these guys that we expect to be around for a few years, are they more or less safe in your eyes, or would you, would you like to see a change at that level? I I mean, I've commended Duba specifically most of the year. Most of uh, there's very few times that I've been very critical of Kyle Dubas just because I think he does do a fairly good job, and I think the way he looks at the game is smart. So. I'm not going to turn on every previous statement I've ever had now and say, no, because we didn't win in the first round, Kyle Dubas did a horrible job. I think that's sort of inane and ridiculous. And I also think that he's the kind of general manager that will look at the failures and determine what needs to change because of them. So in terms of him, I think he's completely safe. Same with Brendan Shanahan. I think by and large, didn't love the, Lula Morello era that he ushered in, but <laughs> we're past that now. Um, in terms of Keefe, I don't know that I've completely turned my back on Keefe of yet. I would have liked to see him be a little more flexible in terms of the top line, especially in those playoffs. It's weird. That, he gets, he yeah. gets such a reputation for tinkering and he just like mm-hmm. seemed to have no interest in tinkering in game seven. Like that was, that was the bizarre thing to me was it just seemed like he got away from what seems to make him successful. And that was what kind of worried me. Yeah. And that's it. I've said like, Keith does a great job of adjusting when things aren't going well. And then we went through this series and it was like, well, 
Sheldon Keith's not adjusting and things aren't going well. So that's frustrating. That being said, I don't think he's a terrible coach and I think you need someone else on the power play for sure. But <laughs> other than that, I'm not, I don't know. I think this is a very skilled team and I think it's a very skilled management group and I can't pinpoint why things aren't going well aside from intangible things like culture or something psychological and I don't I can't even begin to address how you fix that by making moves at the top or elsewhere like I don't really understand Keefe's relationship and usage of William Nylander is partly where I'm at with Keefe because uh like I mean I I beat the drum on Twitter I really don't understand how the second line didn't become some sort of a Spezza Marner or Spezza Nylander sort of combination because unless Jason Spezza isn't physically capable of playing 18 minutes you know Kerfoot was great don't get me wrong but you know maybe we should be playing like Joe Thornton and Wayne Simmons like six or seven minutes and be giving minutes to these guys that are really really moving right now and Spezza's at the top of the list like you ask everyone how he looked in the playoff series and granted he was only playing 10, 12 minutes, a lot of those nights, but people would say that he was like the, the best forward on the team, maybe in the, in the series. So I guess my concern is like, I don't really know if there's something going on with, with Keefe and how he views William Nylander. Like, I don't know if that's going to be something moving forward. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more in terms of, I, you know, said multiple times on Twitter and then, to my roommates who have had to listen to me endlessly um, play William Nylander more play Jason Spetsa more like unless there's something that we're just really really not getting I don't understand why you're not playing those guys more especially when the top line's not going and what's pretty interesting to me is that you know you've got the second line who lost their regular center and then lost their fill-in center in Nick Felino, And that line was never the problem. Mm-hmm. That line was going pretty much the entire time. That was your most productive line. So if they're going like that, then either split, either play them more minutes or find better ways to use them in the lineup to make sure that more guys are going. Cause the 16 minutes a night for William Nylander just doesn't sit right with me. Yeah. Now you, you touched on the, uh, the loss of the second line sentiment, of course, that being captain John Tavares um, in my opinion. And I've said this on this podcast a couple of times now, like as, as far as the, the depth of this team, the, the one position I think that they really couldn't sacrifice was that center position. You, you expect to have Matthews, you expect to have Tavares and then, whoever else is there, it will get the job done, but losing him in that first, you know, seven minutes of the series. Um, I think the, the discussion has been dampered a bit because they did win three games in a row without him. but like, can we chalk this up to maybe saying at the end of the day, if, if we had John Tavares, we wouldn't be having this conversation. This, this series does end in four and five because you, you have that secondary threat coming over the boards. I, if you'd asked me at the beginning of the series, I probably would have said, or if you'd asked me after game one, I probably would have said, yes, this is going to play a big role. Given that I don't particularly think the second line or 
you know, especially with Jason Spezza going, I don't think the depth was too much of a problem. I think the biggest problem was the first line not going. And I think they should have easily been able to beat this team just given the amount of skill left without John Tavares. So does it play a role in how tired people are? Maybe. Does it play a role in the lack of leadership? Possibly. Uh, I'm not saying that there it had no impact on the team. That said, you look at the way they outplayed Montreal, especially in those games two through four, and they should have been able to win one of the last three. And I think the biggest issue was not starting on time. And, you know, they reiterated that in all of their press conferences after the game. You know, we didn't start on time. We'll start on time next game. And it just – it never happened. It was always – we got down to the last 10 minutes and it was like, oh, we actually have to play this game and we're supposed to win it. So it's just – it's frustrating – because it would have been so much easier to just say you lost your captain. He's such a big piece of your team. And uh, that's why you lost. And it's, I just don't think that that's the answer. It feels like the fucking ghost of Mike Babcock around here too. Like it's just constantly like start on time, start on time. And that was the shit that he, he always beat the drum with that stuff. And we're sitting here talking about how like William Nylander doesn't play enough. And it's just like, it feels like this is like a broken record almost. Like I'm just, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of the like us seeming to know the answer and we just never seem to get there with this team like it's like I don't know what to to really say anymore at this point it seems simple to me the answer seems it seems like if we can sit here and watch the games and come up with kind of a better game plan or, or look at things and say that this is wrong then it feels like it should be simple and if we think it should be this simple and no one's making the changes, then it's probably something much more difficult, which is yeah. even more frustrating. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like it's one of those things too, right? Like we talk about this team needing motivation for years, right? Like that, that was the one narrative. And I don't, I don't know if I really bought that, but like Kyle Dubas literally went out and brought in Joe fucking Thornton and Wayne Simmons and Zach Bogosian and Nick Felino And I'm probably, I feel like there was someone else literally all these guys where the core should look and be like, let's win this guy cup. Like the captain's literally John Tavares. Like there's tons of names on this team where it's like, this isn't reason enough as you should want to win for this guy. And, and that doesn't seem to work, but like on the other end of it, like I didn't real like, I hate to say it, but like, I really didn't think like Joe Thornton was very good toward the end of the year. I didn't really think Wayne Simmons was very good in the playoffs. And so like, I don't know if, if maybe that narrative almost made it too far into the front office during that last off season. Maybe we read into that a little bit too much. And like, I just didn't really think the depth was very good down the, down the stretch and the core wasn't the depth wasn't, I feel like I'm pointing out everything, but I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think if you're going to get guys near the end of their career that are are really looking for a cup, then they've got to be able to play. It can't just be come along for the ride while we win you a cup, because you're not going to be able to do that in this league everyone's got to be pitching in and everyone's got to be a big reason in why you win. So. Yeah. It was a weird year in that sense though, too, because I, f- I feel like they went into the season with a plan and then game one of the season or game two, maybe I can't, I can't remember exactly. Uh, Nick Robertson goes down and he, he's out for like two months. It was, and all of a sudden, like you have to ask the question, like, was he part of the plan? Was he going to maybe play, half the games that Joe Thornton was going to play 
and he's ready down the stretch. And we never really saw him again. He, he popped up for a few games, went back to the Marlies, got hurt again. And, you know, it's, it's tough for a 19 year old to be called on and, and have an impact, but was he part of the plan? You know, Rasmus Sandin, same story. Uh, the guy I think was supposed to be a part of this, you know, seven, eight defenseman misses a big chunk of the year with a broken foot comes back. Well, now we need you. And, well, I haven't played a lot of hockey in the last, uh, you know, year and a half. So um, I do wonder how much of that was was impacted by certain guys going down at certain times. Obviously, they lost a, lost a few guys on waivers, right, um, over the course of the season, and, and that chips away at your depth over time. And God, I love Travis Boyd. <laughs> Big Travis Boyd Damn, guy, for I sure. fucking miss Travis Boyd. I don't know. I like I, – I want Adam Brooks in the lineup more. I think he was good. Yeah. I think he was good, and I think we should give him a shot. And if that means, you know, you're not signing veterans, then, okay, figure out your, your core is getting older and they can begin to act like leaders. And if you've got John Tavares, Jason's about to Morgan Riley, for God's sake, if he comes back, like, I think he's a leader on this team. And I think he played incredibly well over the last seven games. And yeah, he takes tons of shit in the media, on Twitter, all of that. But I think in terms of leadership and, you know, personability, I think he could be a great voice in that room. And, you know, he gets, he'll train his replacement. I don't, like, <laughs> at some point someone's got to do it. Yeah. Yeah, he's going to be very capable in that series, I thought. I'll give you a few names because I want to know your thoughts on where they're going to be playing maybe at the start of the next season, whether or not it's going to be in Toronto. Um, the first being Alex Kerfoot, Toronto or not. <laughs> I could see if we're not trading a core player, I could see Alex Kerfoot getting traded though. I will admit I did like how he played in the series. I just think that they could probably get a decent return for him. Yeah. Yeah. Seattle. Oh no. no let, let Justin Hall go to Seattle. Oh, okay. Oh no. Let Justin Hall go. Yeah, okay. that fuck. He was yeah, disappointing down the down the stretch. A eh? holler, um, Alex Galchenyuk. I'd like to see him back on on a cheap little deal. Give him give him another shot, and he can be another another depth guy. Yeah, I don't think he needs to play on this. It's difficult to play him down the lineup because he's very bad at defense. But if you get him back on a cheap deal. I think he makes a nice addition to the team. Yeah. Zach Hyman. You got to get him back. Yeah. You got to. There, there's no doubt in my mind that he's uh, one of the hardest working players on the team. And, you know, he comes from money. I don't think he needs that much of a, he doesn't need that big of a contract, <laughs> does he? <laughs> what, what's, what's the number? What, what's your, what's your limit on Zach Hyman? You got to cap it at five. I don't think you can go over five on Zach Hyman. See, in, in my opinion, I, th- I think you take the money you save from. <clears throat> I assume we're going to get to Freddie Anderson. Uh, you you take the five million that you're not going to be paying Freddie Anderson, and you take the two million that you were paying Zach Hyman, and you say, "Here you go, Zach Hyman. Uh, come come back next year." But maybe 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 five's the right number. I don't know. I'm not a capologist. Well, I just think we can't we can't pay William Nylander and Zach Hyman the same amount of money. <laughs> okay we can't yeah pretty much uh yeah the next the next name was freddie anderson 
I think he is going to be a fantastic Edmonton Oiler because <laughs> they'll give him whatever he wants. <laughs> oh man, I love Freddie too much for that, but you might be right. I know. I and like that's the thing. I do love so many of the guys on this team, but Fred, I think his time is done here, and I think it's been done here for a couple years. Mm-hmm. But that is a positive that we've got. You know, Jack Campbell at one point six five. Like that's mm-hmm. going to be. I, he's going to need to get paid more after next year, but we don't need to worry about that this summer. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully the cap's going back up by that point. Zach Bogosian. If I had it my way, we'd let him go in order to get more, like some of the younger guys in, get Lagrin in for a few games. You get Rasmus Sandin in. I'm not that concerned if they lose some games in the regular season next year if it means developing some of their younger guys because I do think that that's a smarter move long term and if you're going back to the Atlantic format whoever you face in the playoffs is going to be difficult anyway so yeah uh Travis Dermott well if I'm offering Justin Hall up as Seattle bait then (laughs) got to keep Travis Dermott (laughs) Yeah, it does sort of feel like it's one of those two, right? Like, and the, the yeah, I, the thing is with Hall too is like, I don't know if it would be a deterrent for Seattle, the fact that he has a, a no trade and that he wasn't particularly great down the stretch, but it does sort of feel like it's one of those two to me. Yeah, I'd agree. I think you look at just the way the team works, who they're going to be willing to give up. I think it's probably easier to give up a, bottom four defensemen than anyone else mm-hmm. uh jason spezza he better be back i i'll crowdfund <laughs> you look i'm not making a ton of money next year but he can have whatever i make yeah. i want him back yeah you'd be hard pressed to find someone i think that that doesn't want him back and i was not uh necessarily in his camp for some of last year either it's not that i don't like him i really like him but uh, I didn't really think he was like amazing last year. He was good, but I was skeptical that he was not going to be worse this year, right? Yeah. Just how yeah. aging works. And uh, uh, he was not worse. It was like the best he's looked in like six years. It was fucking awesome. Yeah. No, I, I'm every time Jason Spezza speaks, I become more a fan of his. And then every time he gets on the ice, I become more of a fan of his. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, there, there's no doubt that I want him back. And I think, you know, just given the way the last couple of seasons have played out, I doubt he's asking for much over league men. And, uh, you know, if there's a guy that's willing to take a pay cut to stick around in your organization and be effective, you've got to keep him. Yeah. His comments today were pretty uh, encouraging, to say the least. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they need that guy around. Like he's he's the guy that they're looking for, right? Like he's that veteran guy that you want to win for, but he's also going out there and playing fantastic, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh the last one, although I'm not expecting it to be a long conversation. Uh Mitch Marner. Do it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think I you do see Mitch Marner back. Ideally, we've all had some time to recover and we're not all yeah maybe we just take some time away from social media and don't bully him online for a little bit and we'll see what happens it's just baffling that like 
people are so stupid that they genuinely think that the guy doesn't care like that he just oh, yeah. he's just like he literally got Re- literally raised his entire life to fucking play for this team he's just nervous bro. Were you guys like, mad that okay. he was golfing yesterday oh my god did you catch the the golfing story was that upsetting for everyone that's insane it's like the only other thing you can do in ontario right now exactly uh, then stay at home so yeah go golf buddy i don't know like he's like the rest of us he's he's having a shitty run man he just wanted to get out of the fucking house (laughs) and not think about hockey for four hours like yeah i get it i get it i do the same thing about this team and i don't play on it so i can only imagine yeah i'm not sure i don't know what would have made people happy i can only imagine that it's him posting a selfie, crying to, I don't know, Olivia Rodrigo, and <laughs> just saying, look, guys, I feel really bad. Like, I don't... What's Sponsored by Intact Insurance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like the same yep. people that didn't see him, like, extremely upset over the puck over the glass penalty there, too. Like, he was he was clearly shaken up then, but now he doesn't care. I'm like, come on. It's ridiculous. Yeah, people are going to bitch about, like... Oh, oh yeah. he he did that to himself, so he shouldn't be sad. And then if he was sad, they'd be like, we did that to himself, so he shouldn't be sad. But now he's golfing, and it's also a problem. So I get it. We're mad at him. I don't feel the need to criticize every personal decision he makes. That's Insane. that's fine. Um, well, I, th- I think that about covers it. We've uh, literally talked at length about basically every player on the roster. So uh, I guess my uh, final thing I want to know is your thoughts on... Well, two things. Your thoughts on Montreal, Winnipeg specifically, because that is the series that we hoped we would be in. And I guess your thought on the rest of the playoffs, like who do you have uh, who do you have as a cup pick at this point? In terms of Montreal, Winnipeg, uh, look, whoever, whoever gets through this round will face probably Colorado, if I'm being honest. But the winner of the North is going to face the winner of the West, just the way the seedings work out. So they can fight each other into the ground to get swept by Colorado or Vegas next round. That's, that's fine. I I don't, I'm not too uh, concerned about the North division winning a cup or anything at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, Though I do imagine that we'll see a, uh, probably a Tampa Colorado cup final. And I think those two teams will, if there's any team in the league that could take on Tampa and any team in the league that could take on Colorado, it's each other. So I think that'll be pretty exciting. And I'll probably uh, have gotten over the sting of the Leafs loss to really get into hockey, at least for a little bit by then. Did watch our sweet, sweet boy, Nazim, the dream cadre. uh, And he'll he'll be back. Yeah. <laughs> well, it'll be back for a couple of games at least, and then you know, right, right. before the next, before the next yeah. unfortunate event. Yeah, Nazem Kadri versus Luke Shen, eh? That would be quite the quite mm. the cup final for sure. Um, Kate, you uh, seem to be the hottest Twitter account on Leafs Twitter at the moment. Everybody seems to be just just following you. Uh, that's where I suppose people can find you is at CSA Leafs on Twitter. Um. Yeah, it was a pleasure having you, and uh, hopefully we'll have you back for a more positive discussion about the Leafs in the near future. Yeah, sounds awesome. Thanks so much, guys. Awesome. Thanks. Thank Kate. you.
Our thanks to uh, Kate Atkinson once again for uh, coming on, spending some time talking the, uh, the the very sad reality that is the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, seven game series against the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been nice for all of us to be happier, but. And you know what does make people happier typically is um, lace trim. Now, <laughs> when when you're out and about, and look, you've you've got maybe maybe an old shirt or or a pair of pants that uh, just just don't cut it anymore. Maybe it's not 2021. Uh, it, it's more of a 1980s feel. You go down, you go to Michaels, you grab yourself some lace trim. You come back to the house. You sew that baby up all on the edges, you know, down the sleeves, maybe around the cuffs of the pants. You got a brand new wardrobe, and it's all laced out, and it's brought to you by the fine people at uh, Laced Up by Garments Podcast. As we, uh, we, we, we've got promo codes for, for all the, the, the latest uh, fashion trends. Uh, you can find all that information on our Twitter page. Um, yeah. Last week I made a joke about how we don't do enough advertising, but like I'm not really sure that advertising for the podcast on our podcast is the right way to to go about it. Baby steps. Yeah. We can do ads for other things, though, and uh, this week's sponsor of Laced Up uh, Garments podcast is Smoke and Mirrors Media. James, have you heard about this? Yeah. <laughs> I ask you the same question. <laughs> Smoke and Mirrors. That's, right. that, that's an old-timey uh, phrase they used to say back go. in the 20s, wasn't it now? <laughs> So what they used to call a shyster. No, uh, Smoke, Smoke and Mirrors Media is a creative media production company specializing in photography and videography. Their services provide creative content for clients that offer extraordinary advertising and exposure opportunities that will help any size and type of business stand out from the competition. Whether you're a struggling artist with a small budget or a successful business with some extra cash, Smoke and Mirrors can take your venture to the next level. Professional photography offers your websites, brochures, and social media outlets the opportunity to shine while professional videography creates an opportunity that allows potential customers and clients to get an in-depth look into your unique venture. Uh, So if you want to try to sell a new shirt or a a dress, James did more prep prep into this bit than I did for the the garment. I would say more so if you've already got the shirt. And you want a nice photo of you wearing the nice shirt. Oh, yeah. You know, or, or maybe you and all your buddies went and got shirts. That and all there's match. no nicer shirt than a 1987 Calvin Klein vintage polo oh. in, in magenta. I couldn't think of a color. Smoke and Mirrors doesn't just deal with commercial suits. Smoke and Mirrors doesn't just deal with commercial shoots, but also private accounts as well. Wedding and engagement photos, family portraits, and even more, I guess you and your new shirt even works, can be available through Smoke and Mirrors and nobody does it better. Visit smokeandmirrorsmedia.ca for more information and follow at smokeandmirrors.media on Instagram. Sorry, was that commercial suit or commercial shoot? Um, I guess both works. Okay. I just, I've, got, I've got suit in the mind, you know? Suit in the mind here on the Garments Podcast. Yeah. How do, you, how do you like... What's, what's Speaking your, of suits, Jake Musson missed Game 7. Let's talk about that again. What's, what's your go-to suit color? Like, if you... you oh. I don't know if you, if you have a choice in your closet currently, but if you had a, wow. a go-to that you could pick at, 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 at will... See, the last wedding I went to was in the summer, so I didn't wear a jacket with my outfit, but I had, like, an, a nice blue pair of suit pants that I've always wanted, like, the corresponding suit jacket with I just don't have it you know 
So it's like a like a sky blue kind of almost like you know what I mean, a little darker than that. But I, but it, it like the pants look good. I would look good in the jacket. I don't know. It it kind of depends on the vibe. I don't know. And, and things change for me over the years. You know what I really want to get is like a like a camel colored. Uh, uh, what am I looking for? Peacoat. One of those longer ones mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted one of those. I want to rock one of those one of the next few winters. They'll probably be out of style by then. We should know that because we are a clothing podcast. We should know the trends. I don't know. Are if those ca- still in? I don't know if the camel uh, trench coat will ever be out of out of stock. Peacoat, I, su- I suppose. I like a, my my one one of the guys that owns the business that I work for wears one because he's a like he's a real estate agent that just invests in our uh, store. And uh, well, no, he's part owner, and he he wear like he's like one of the most best. One of the most well-dressed guys I've ever met in my life. And, like, he just walks around wearing it. I'm like, fuck, man. Like, I'd look good in one of those, you know? I think I could pull it off. I, I don't think I could because I... <laughs> o- well, only because, like... Give yourself some credit, well, man. You fucking look good in one of those. Come th- on. I, this is... This, I, gotta, I gotta tread carefully here. But, like, I, I feel like there's a certain complexion. There it is. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm too... Is. I'm too close to the color of the jacket. It'll just wash me out. I'll, I'll look I'll look nude, right? So, I don't know. I think you gotta... Like, you could pull it off, for sure. You got that Italian spice of life to you, and... You know, you, you can yeah. you can make it happen, I think. Well, we'll see. Uh, speaking of uh, looking good in threads, uh, Owen Powers is uh, set to perhaps look pretty good in the new Buffalo Sabres jersey he might be wearing next season as... Nobody looks good in that. As the Buffalo Sabres have won the draft lottery for 2021, uh, they look, they went in with the best odds, and it's been a while since the team with the best odds while. won, uh, but it happened, and um, kudos to them, I guess. I, I, I guess this is a good thing. They'll probably screw it up, but... When they said whoever got the third overall pick and it wasn't Seattle, who got third? And yeah. I, when they said that... I was like, Seattle's going to do the thing, man. Mm. Seattle's going to do the thing. And then they didn't do the thing. Which is probably for the best. Because I feel like that would have been the one narrative where it would just be like, Ah, the NHL. Fucking classic, you know. There was one team. I'm trying to think who it was. Uh, there was one team where they where they went to go draw it. And I'm like, fuck, if they won the lottery. You know what I mean? Oh, you mean the Devils? They won the lottery the last like It might have been the Devils. Where yeah. I was just like, man, like, you know. Stop trying to make this happen. It's not going to happen. Stop making fetch trying to happen. Right. Um, did I get that right? Did Now, my memory is a little shoddy, as you know. You've pointed out in this podcast Ooh, a few times. Wow. Did Vegas get, like, a top five pick their first year? Or did they, like, trade that away or Vegas something? Vegas drafted Cody Glass, I think. But, like, they lost the lottery such that they fell down to, like, eighth? I don't remember. Because Seattle went in with the third best odds. I don't think about this stuff very often because Vegas is so good right. that I just never have to think about it. Seattle went in with the third best odds, and I was trying to think, like, well, Vegas should have so, went in with the same odds. So Vegas Vegas lost three times because that was the year the Devils, the Flyers, and the Stars all won. Okay. Remember you could do the three-team thing? Yeah, yeah. So Colorado, Vancouver, and Vegas all slipped down. Because, mm. like, New Jersey the year before. I think New Jersey had, like, good odds, but the Flyers... Were like four. That was the Nolan Patrick draft, and they yeah. won. They got Nolan yeah. Patrick, and then Dallas also won, and they got Miro Heiskin. And where did Vegas pick? Vegas picked sixth. Then so they picked then. Cody Glass. Who? Oh, okay. I think Cody Glass. That, that's still, still higher than I thought they picked their their first year. But yeah. no, they um, had top three odds. They just they lost enough times. And look, like 
like Cody Glass has turned into like a, a pretty dependable initial forward. But I think he's going to be good. Th- th- this is really good for Seattle to come right out of the gate. You're gonna you're gonna build off the the Vegas model on how to how to draft an expansion team in in the year 2020, uh, 2021. Sorry, I don't know what time is. And it doesn't um, matter. but they're also at the same time going to get what should be a guy ready to step in immediately next season and have an impact and some guy some someone that you could probably build a team around in yeah. in, in a way right at the, at the end of the day uh, Vegas for for all their fortunes th- who they are now is not who they were in 2017 right like the face of that franchise today is Mark Stone Maybe you can say Marc Andre Fleury has been that one consistent, but you've got Alex Petrangelo that's stepped kind of. in. Like Fleury's on his second run already in Vegas because he right. was because done of the last Robin, year, the Robin right? Leonard thing, yeah. right? So, so Vegas has never really like again. I don't want to take anything away from Cody Glass, but he was like he's ne- he was never going to be that guy you built the face of your team around. Um, so probably not. Th- this could be huge for Seattle. Like we might we might be talking about the guy that's going to be the. The franchise leader in points by the time he retires in twenty years. I, I think it's really exciting. Cody Glass is an interesting one though, because you, you look at the top five of that draft. It's Heisher, Patrick, Heiskanen, Makar, and Pedersen, and they take Glass at six. Yeah. After Glass, it's Anderson, Middlestat, Michael Rasmussen, Owen Tippett, uh, Gabriel Velarde, and then and then, and then it's Natchez and Suzuki. Like it's one of those things where that six to eleven range, I think, are all going to be good. Maybe, maybe not middle stat, but uh, according, according <laughs> to you anyway. But like, it's one of those things where you look at it and it's just like, well, none of them really got, you know what I mean, the same end of the stick that sometimes you'll see from a 6 to 11 at this stage. You know, like a lot of good players go in that range and they really get anything crazy there. So like, yeah, I don't, I don't really know how that's going to work out. Um, for Seattle, like one interesting thing I guess I would say is, is this year, like everyone's a little screwed. Because of not getting able to watch a lot of these prospects to the level that you ordinarily would. But if you watch carefully and you have enough scouts watching them, then you should still sort of come up with a similar answer than you would have anyway. And, you know, it's the quality of competition that's going to be kind of the problem. Because a lot of these leagues had to just, you know, figure things out on the fly. If there's one team that's invested money in fucking analytics and scouting and trying to make this team as good as possible, Seattle's thrown a lot of money into that. Yeah. So they might make the right pick still, right? Now, where do you think Buffalo should go with their first overall pick? Like, <sighs> See, see, <laughs> you're asking me the one year. I haven't yeah, yeah. read a thing. I haven't watched no, a thing. I, I genuinely... Okay, so... I know as much about this draft class as I probably did when I was seven years old about the 99 draft class. Yeah. I have no idea. So let, let me frame it this way, perhaps. Then, okay. There, there's, there's two. There's, there's a centerman, there's a winger, and there's a defenseman that most people consider to be the top three prospects. Owen Power, uh, Berniers. Yeah. Who's the uh, other guy? Uh, Eklund, I think, out of Sweden, the Swedish kid. Holy shit! I've never heard of him. Eklson, <laughs> Eklund. Oh, you're talking Eklund's blog. No. E4. Uh, well, E4. Good trade. It's been a while. Yashin to Toronto. E4. Well, probably not, but. Uh, William so, Eklund. Eklund? No, you yeah. got it. Yeah, yeah like, I, even even the World Juniors. Like, I know I watched the whole thing in, like, most teams' games, but I don't remember it because that's how scarring the year has been. Uh, yeah. Uh, mostly the last two weeks. Let, yeah. Let, let, so, so okay, let, let, me, let me reframe frame the question then. <clears throat> you've, you've got a centerman in Matt Berniers. You've got a winger in William Eklund. You've got the guy that most people think is going to go first overall, Owen Power, Owen Power. at D. You've also got a top five prediction in Luke Hughes 
the youngest Hughes brother, who's also a defenseman. If you're Buffalo, and like, let's put aside the who the best of those four players is for a second, and look at the franchise needs and say, you know, gee, if I, if I am trading Jack Eichel away in the next calendar year, do I want a centerman Rangers, maybe yeah. to, to fill his spot? Uh, am I going to keep Jack Eichel? At that point, do I want a winger to play with him? Oh, do I need to bolster my defense because that was a big problem last year? Where, where, where do you go if you're the Buffalo Sabres? Um, yeah. Like, this is almost a sequel to previous episodes. Because wait, how many times have we talked no, about we've, the Buffalo we've never, Sabres? We've never done the garments thing before, my guy. Oh, well, no, but about, about the Buffalo Sabres, where it's just like, I have so little faith in this organization that they're going to get anything right under this ownership. Yeah. So, I hate to, like, really not feed this conversation, but, like, my answer to you is almost, who gives a shit? Because, like, whatever they're going to end up doing under the Pagulas, I feel like they're just going to fuck it up. Is, is where I'm at with this team. So, so let's pretend the Pagulas don't exist so I can answer your question. I would still probably take Berniers or Power, depending where you want to build your team around. And then you make a philosophical decision there. Do you want to build down the middle, or do you want to build through the D? And how good do you think Dylan Cousins is? Because you play, if Cousins is your number two centerman behind Eichel, I think yep. you're doing fine. Yep. If you want to play Cousins at wing... Then Berniers gives you more option to do that, and now you've got three slam dunk forwards up front, uh, plus whatever the hell Jack Quinn is probably going to be. Because you, you, you do have Rasmus Dahlin on the back end. Here, here, here's my thing: is like I think that they have probably fucked up what Rasmus Dahlin's ceiling is going to be. Mm. I think he's he should be a lot further along for me than he is right now. There's no doubt to me that he's probably going to be a really good defenseman, but is he going to be the next Victor Hedman? Victor Hedman was very much Victor Hedman by now, and you know See, what I mean. And I like, remember the opposite almost. Like I thought Hedman took a couple years to get going. He wasn't crazy good, but like he was better defensively than Rasmus Dahlin is. That's what I'm getting at. They both had 23 points in their third season. I'll, I'll point that out. Sure, but. Darlene's been more offensive overall. Uh, if you want to speak to the d- defensive prowess of, of Victor Hedman, while well, you're talking about the what most people consider to be the best defenseman in the league, that, that's right? what I mean. Is like so. when Victor Hedman was, uh, like you talked to his third season. When in Victor Hedman's second season, he was the number one defenseman on the Tampa Bay Lightning, and they went on a deep playoff run. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, yeah, yeah, he wasn't putting up almost a point per game numbers, but like, I don't even necessarily love Victor Hedman's offense currently as much as I normally like his defense. Not this year, but. Uh, my my thing with Dalian is that I'm a little concerned there. That's that's all I'm saying. Sure. I'm not trying to you know feed a narrative there or anything like that. I, I genuinely watch him and he looks fucking lost. So I don't know what it's going to take to get him kind of where they need him to be. But to me, I don't see a future Norris there yet, and that kind of sketches me out. So do you want power because maybe it takes pressure off Dalian? Do you want power because it's someone for Darlene to work with? Do you want power because you're going to trade Darlene? Like, that's another thing, too. I, I don't know where this organization wants to go. Uh, and if it's me, I wouldn't take the GM job, put it that way. So Fair enough. Um, now, you, you, do you know what is close to Buffalo? Aside from them drafting what should be another first overall 
help this team out. Uh, I don't know. Cal- prospect. Calvin Klein headquarters. Uh, Niagara Falls is, is pretty close. Ah, to, Niagara Falls to, to Buffalo Sabers and Michael and Scott and Cole. working for six ten CKT. Oh, there it is. <laughs> uh, in Niagara Falls is our next that. guest, uh, Alex Hobson. Uh, also, uh, a big guy on Twitter. He's got a couple podcasts. Uh, works at the uh, the Hockey Writer. You can find his stuff there. We uh, we're going to sit down with him and. Uh, Open back up the wound that is the Toronto Maple Leafs. Oh, do do we ever? Mm-hmm. Okay, we are joined now by uh, a guy that has his hands in a little bit of everything. It seems uh, he's uh, he's involved with the hockey writer, um, which you can check out. He's got it all set up on his uh, Twitter bio. There, he does some radio work. He hosts some podcasts, uh, and as I mentioned, he's a big guy on uh, on Leafs Twitter. We got Alex Hobson here joining us today, Alex. Uh, thanks so much for taking some time out of your day uh, to come talk about the bad thing that happened uh, mm-hmm. a few nights ago. Um, yeah, thanks for doing this. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I don't know what this bad thing is you're talking about. I've, I've, <laughs> it's been nothing but sunshine and rainbows for me this week as a hockey fan. But uh, yeah, did, I'm, I'm, did, I'm happy to do the show. Did you like, were you not one of those guys that like recorded the game and just hasn't got around to watching uh, <laughs> five, six, seven? Is that the case? <laughs> or. Yeah, no, you know uh, what? If even if I did record shows, I probably or sorry, record games, I probably wouldn't have. I probably wouldn't have wanted to watch back after seeing the final score. So, yeah, no, definitely not. Yeah, uh, fair enough on that one. Um, let's let's get right to it. I think um, I, I want to get your take on on these seven games. You you can you can talk about each one for. 30 seconds or you can break down each game period by period and give me the whole fucking half hour experience. Um, just, just take me through those, those seven games as a fan uh, watching the Toronto Maple Leafs. I've seen this movie yeah. where it's like, um, it's happy like halfway through. And then like, it's kind of <laughs> like uh, maybe not even happy. It's just like, it's kind of like place beyond the pines. You ever see that with Ryan, Ryan Gosling where it's just like, it's like not horribly sad until like an hour into it. And then it gets, <laughs> it gets very depressing very fast. So that's what it feels like. It's like, that, that's what it is. I, yeah. I actually made a joke that uh, the, the, the documentary that's coming out about this season is sort of, it's sort of going to be like, if you were to watch a favorite movie or start a movie, knowing that your favorite character is going to get killed <laughs> off. Like it's, it, it, there's just no point. Like, why would you even want to watch? Why would you even want to relive all that? Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think there's any doubt that after that first game, they were a little shaken up after the whole JT injury, if we want to start there. Um, having said that, I really like the way that they responded, not only in that game, but then in the three games after that. I thought they came out and really made Montreal work. Um, obviously, none of that matters because we're not playing hot playoff hockey anymore. Uh, uh, Habs and Jets are underway in the second round now. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean... It's tough for me to say that the Leafs really played bad in games five and six, um, especially like the overtime in game six. I know Toronto was dominating for most of it, and then it was just all it took was one bad shot. And it was, I think it was 15 shots total in that period. Toronto had 13 of them, and then one of Montreal's two shots went in and ended up being the difference maker for that. So, um, you know, it was... I, I didn't. I don't really think they played bad in games five and six. I think both games, it was just a crucial giveaway at the wrong time, really bent them. And um, it, it, it's unfortunate that it kind of came together like that. But ultimately, all the Leafs really needed from 
uh, from their team in games five, six, and seven was for uh, Matthews and Marner to step up and do something. And they just never really got that. And I think that was more or less the difference maker in the series. Um, game seven, especially, I, I mean, you know, this horse has been beaten to shit into the ground. We don't really, I'm not going to be saying anything that, uh, analysts haven't already said, or anyone on Leafs Twitter's already said, but it was just, it, it was a pathetic effort for a game seven. And, um, it was just, uh, it was just unfortunate. I mean, you see the way that the Habs responded when they allowed fans into the building. So the Leafs follow suit and do the same thing. And, uh, they just didn't, they didn't have it that entire game. And I personally think that it was the worst game I've ever seen Mitch Marner play in a Leafs uniform. I noticed that every time he got the puck, uh, the play would die off of a stick immediately. Yeah. He would, he'd get it and he would either get stick checked or he'd, he, he'd get kind of pressed up against the boards and they'd immediately have to turn around and recover. And he just, you could tell that he was just in his own head that entire time. And uh, it sucked because, you know, like, you're hoping for a big statement game from your stars in an instance like that. And you, you know, there was a, there was an opportunity to crush two narratives at once, the first round curse. And um, just the fact that they can't do anything in the playoffs in general, that they fizzle out in big games and they had a chance to crush both of those narratives and they, they didn't. So that part's unfortunate. Um, in terms of their overall play throughout the series, like I said, I, I know that they they did well uh, in games two, three, and four, and you could say games five and six as well. I thought they responded well from uh, their captain going down with injury, but I think the big thing for them in this series is they didn't show up when they needed to, and uh, that's what really screwed them over in the end. Yeah. I felt, too, like there was um, – like what I figured we were going to get was there was a game – the Leafs played the Habs. I'm trying to find it here. Regular season, Saturday night game. They played Montreal. And it was the best game that I think I've seen the Leafs play in maybe a couple years even. Like, like it was, uh, where is it? May 6th wasn't a Saturday night. It was Thursday night. They played Montreal. They came out, like, absolutely out of the gates on fire. They're up 4 nothing after one. And I figured that that was more or less how this series was gonna, was series was going to go. Like, I thought from the moment the puck dropped we were going to see this team just flying 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 and you can say what you want like obviously the Tavares injury fucks game one but like every other game I never really felt that them coming out of the gates like that like it felt like every first period was them waiting for the game to come to them and by game seven it took about three minutes for me to just be like this is this is gonna be toast and it wasn't even like me being you know, pessimistic. It's just like, I've, I've seen this movie this season where it's just, they come out flat. It takes them forever to get going. And, you know, they never really seemed like they wanted to take that stranglehold on the series. And, and to your point too, like, I don't know what it takes to get in Mitch Marner's head as a guy who was third or fourth. And I don't look at that kind of stuff, third or fourth in national league in points this season. Like what, what fucking goes wrong in the, in the few days before the playoffs for you to just come in completely shattered. I don't know really what happened there, but it it didn't even look like a Mitch Marner that I had ever seen. I was, I was puzzled the entire time. No. And you know what he he did, you know, you can make the argument and say, Oh yeah, he had four assists in seven games, but like what did, what did those points really do to help the team in the end? I mean, I'm not discrediting everything, anything he's done throughout this series. You know, he, he did show up and he did have some offense, but again, it all goes back to the point of they need to, they needed to play like stars. They, they didn't yeah. need to play like, they didn't need to play like third line players. They didn't need to play like guys where it's like, Oh, uh, Oh, look, he, he, he chipped in good for him. You, we, we can say he's done a good job. Like we're talking about the rocket Richard winner and the guy who was third in league scoring or fourth in league scoring, whatever the hell mm-hmm. it was. 
So it, it was just really disappointing because you need your guys to take control of a game like that. And sure, Matthews had a three-point game, but his one goal of the series was a little rebound off of a Justin Hall floater from the point. Right. And then he had two assists or three assists or whatever it was. And it was like, you, there, was, there wasn't that single, there wasn't a game where you got that full-on effort from the top guys. And I think that's what really screwed them over in the end. It's like, if your stars aren't showing up and playing like stars, like what you can't rely on Alex Kerfoot and Jason Spezza to carry you to the promised land. Right. Like it was just, it was just such a disappointment to see. And honestly, I like to allude to what you said about not wanting to be the pessimistic fan. I I hate to say it, but I saw that coming as soon as they lost game five. (laughs) I didn't, I I didn't want, I didn't feel like sulking through the rest of the playoffs. No, but it felt like the writing was on the wall a little bit, right? Like it just, it just almost felt inevitable because it I didn't want to believe it like like even after game five I was still kind of like well you know whatever it's one game right but like yeah like I don't know what the hell happened in game six like they didn't they didn't look right for quite a while there and 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 but yeah you're right like you're you want your stars to play like stars and I'm sitting here and on alternate nights I'm turning on fucking Colorado and I'm watching Nathan McKinnon absolutely torch everybody on the St. Louis Blues who are comparable, if not better than the Montreal Canadiens. And where the fuck was that? Where was a shift like that out of Matthews? It felt like, like, you know what I mean? He would do good things, but did he look like a, you know, $11.6 million player at any point? Not almost at all. And he was better than Marner was in the series. I thought. So it was like, it was just frustrating. Like you're, you're right. Like you watch the play die on his stick to a level that I have never seen that happen to Mitch Marner till this series and it was beyond bizarre and you and you know when we're talking about when we're talking about the fact that the stars didn't show up and you you know they needed more from their stars i also think you gotta you gotta get sheldon keith to shoulder some of the blame in that instance as well and the reason i say that is because i think the one thing like if you want to sit down and dissect everything that went wrong in this series you'd be fucking sitting here for 24 hours so Like to bypass all that and just to get to the main thing that went wrong in this series, I think it all comes back to the fact that Sheldon Keefe had way too much faith in Mitch Marner to turn around, turn the game around, turn the series around and be that guy. And I respect the fact that Keefe has faith in his top guns because obviously we saw for however many years Mike Babcock was here. Fuck game seven against Boston and Patrick Marlowe would be playing almost as much as Austin Matthews. So obviously we didn't want to see that. And, you know, I, I, you know, Sheldon gives credit. We, he did what he promised. He's not going to hide our stars from anyone, but at the same time, you got to tinker with shit when it's not working. And you know, when you've got a guy like Mitch Marner, he, here's a guy that can't even get out of his own head, a guy that can't even figure his own game out. And all of a sudden you expect him to be the guy to spark an entire team. Yeah. And at, at the same time, you've got William Nylander, who I would say was the Leafs best player throughout that entire series, best skater, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, Nylander was on the second line. He was driving his own line like, could you, like, it just pains me to sit back and think, like, what if for one game Sheldon just tried Matthews and Nylander on the first line together and you had a guy like Nylander who had confidence and had, you know, he had faith in his own game. What does that do for Austin Matthews? Mitch Marner is normally Austin Matthews' right-hand guy. He's usually a guy setting him up and making sure that the puck gets on his stick. But when Marner's not capable of doing that and you've got a guy like Nylander who's played with Matthews before and had confidence throughout that entire series, like, I, it just... You got to wonder what would have happened if they, if Keefe had just decided to use Nylander and Matthews together. And it's not even necessarily using those two together. I just think he had to do something to shake things up and maybe 
take a little pressure off of Mitch Marner because I noticed he was trying to do everything himself out there and he was trying to dictate the game himself. And when you can't even get out of his own head, he's not the guy that you want doing that. So yeah. I just, I, I wish that Keith tinkered a little bit and realized, okay, like at the very least after game six, like, okay, we've lost right. two games in a row. Our stars clearly don't have it. So well, and before we the fucking to... 15 minute mark of the third period of game seven, yeah. even too, literally, like, you know, there was, there was fucking 45 minutes before that. Even. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 you know what? And I, I stopped hammering home the point that if your guys, like you got to switch things up and like in game seven, you need the, you need the big guns to step up. Right. And when it became apparent five minutes into game seven, that the big guns were not going to be the ones stepping up. I think it's that at that point where you got to just pull, pull the plug and just try something else because you don't have time on your side in the end. Yeah. I, I, I to kind of build off your point a little bit, because I do agree that there weren't enough changes made uh, on Keefe's part at any point. But I, I do kind of wonder how much of maybe the series against Columbus played a factor where, uh, you know, he went out and he did the load him up thing and that line gets shut down and now you've got nothing to fall back on. So you're missing John Tavares in this well, series. I was going to say you, the you big difference that between that load him up line was the, the third guy on the load him up line played three minutes in the series, right? Like that's the other problem. Oh, too. for sure, you know. for sure. But he, he put himself in a situation last year where he played his card, it didn't work, and now you got to scramble, and he just couldn't scramble. And in time, short series, five games, whatever. But this year, okay, you're already down, John Tavares. Uh, you got you know uh, Mitch and Matthews up there that aren't doing anything, and you got Willie that is, and we know that Willie can drive his own line, and I don't think Mitch Marner can drive his own line. Um, so if he wanted to keep Willie off of that line, I'm fine with that. But I think the response then becomes, well, you got to get Jason Spezza up there with Willie and have, have give Willie something to work with. Because Mm -hmm. as, as soon as it was evident that, um, you know, Nylander had shown up and Matthews and Marner hadn't, um, you're, you're leaving, you're leaving Willie by himself on that second line with him. And to their credit, Galchenyuk and Kerfoot showed moments of brilliance, but those aren't guys you can rely on in seven games. You, you know, game two, game three, good. They showed up. They did their part. We can't expect more at that point. So, um, well, yes, th- those I think are guys that are more, supposed but... to be a, a third line player, right? That's the difference. Is right. that you know they're playing right. on a second line, or call it even a third line at points based on the way the ice time went. And you know, like you're you're right. Like Galchenyuk is here to help bridge the gap, not to fucking be the guy, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah, and honestly, like I, it's easy to sit back and say like, you know, Keith should have done this, Keith should have done that. And you're like, that. that's a good point, James. Like Marnik at this point, he didn't show during this series that he couldn't drive his own line. So in saying that Nylander and Matthews should have been together, like I said, uh, you also do run the risk of Marner just turfing that second line. But at the same time, I don't know, man. Game seven, like game seven's past. Montreal's playing hockey right now and the Toronto Maple Leafs aren't. It's just, I'm at a point where I, I would have at least liked to see it. And if like guess sure. if it didn't work, fine. You go back to Matthews and Marner, but I don't know. I just I, I thought Neilander was deserving of a of a look on that first line. And at the same time, well at, at the very least on the first power play. Well, he was on the first power play unit towards the end, but I, I, I didn't like how I didn't like how Marner was the guy with all the pressure on his back on the power play either. And I'm not saying it would have worked. Like it's easy to say that it it would have worked to put Neilander there. But we watched yeah. it work for years. Like, it, like that is mm-hmm. who he played with for a long time. And granted, you know, Mike Babcock, kind of different system. But, like, all we really needed was someone to get the puck in the zone so Austin could get open. 
And Hyman wasn't doing that in this series because he just he didn't look 100%. And Marner mm-hmm. didn't do it be for whatever fucking reason. And that's all Willie knows how to do is skate the puck in, skate it down below the goal line, mm-hmm. wait for someone to be open. And Austin mm-hmm. was fairly open. It was Mitch couldn't get even in a position to get him the puck mm-hmm. is how I felt for, you know, a large part of the series. So, like, that was why I was frustrated, too. It's like, you know, we know that Willie and Austin can work together. It's not like when he put Mitch with them and it's like, well, they're the two best forwards on the team. I'm sure it'll work. And then we'll see what happens. Like, like Willie is his OG line mate, right? And that's why I was yeah. kind of frustrated. It's just like, we know it'll work. It, it will work. Like, it's a matter of doing it, but I don't know. <laughs> another, thing, another thing that really frustrated me about that series on Matthew's front is that, I don't know if you guys remember earlier on this year, obviously, when uh, Matthew's had his wrist injury. But he wasn't, he was at the point of his injury where he wasn't, you know, he, 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 he was still allowed to be in the game. Like he could play games. He just didn't really have a shot. So obviously when you take away, when you take a guy, sorry, when you take away a guy's biggest weapon, he's not going to be as effective as normal, but Matthews, you know, he's a pretty good playmaker on his own as well. He's a good defensive player. So you can get away with still having him in the lineup, even though it was super unbelievably frustrating to watch him play without a shot. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to sit here and try and fucking speculate on whether his wrist was healthy or not. No, nah, fuck it, let's speculate. That, there was, yeah, actually, yeah, fuck it, we're fans. Let's speculate. That's <laughs> like, more fun than not speculating. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there were there were a couple instances, I don't know if you guys noticed this too, but there were a couple of times throughout that series when his wrist did not look healthy. He, You know, I, and maybe it was more or less, it was more so earlier on in the series, I'd see him get the puck at the top of the slot on the power play. And instead of winding up for that big clap bomb, the one-timer, or instead of like setting up and aiming and like firing off a wrist shot, he'd get it and he would twirl around and he would drop it back to the point. And it would be either a Mitch Marner or a Morgan Riley floater from the point that would end up in the defenseman's shin pads and they'd have to go out and get the puck (laughs) again. So, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say Matthews is still injured, but his wrist, his shooting didn't look 100% during that series either. And I'm not saying that was a factor in determining if they won the series or not, but I don't know. I, he didn't look. He didn't look like Austin Matthews at his at his t- at his one hundred percent game. Well, and like to kind of build off that, even you remember the way he came out in, especially games one, two, three, where um, if he was on the ice and you had the puck, uh, you're getting hit. And like for Austin Matthews, that is not the norm. That's not his game, right? But he was doing it, and then all of a sudden, the hitting kind of slowed. Uh, you know, slowed. He wasn't doing that as much anymore to your credit, the, the shooting wasn't really there. He was doing a lot of passing. I'm wondering if maybe it was self-induced, you know, he's going out there trying to trying to make a presence for himself, throwing the body around and missed a hit. One of the boards, you know, caught himself with the wrist. No, nope, now that's flared up. And again, uh, fans, we love to speculate, but uh, it's, it's a great point. Yeah, it was just, it was just disappointing in the end. And obviously uh, I'm far, far from the first fucking Leaf fan to use that word to describe that series. But uh, yeah, it was, there was just, it was just, there were so many factors this year that I thought were, they were, that was, I thought was finally going to lead to them getting over that hump and breaking the curse. And it just, they didn't have it. And at this yeah. point, I'm honestly out of answers. Like, I don't know what you address heading into the off season at this point. Like I, I, uh, I, I put out a piece today, Pretty much with that exact same mantra. I basically yeah. just said, okay, so here are my thoughts from uh, following the series. Uh, I don't know what to do from here. So I'll let you guys discuss. And uh, it, basically the point that I was trying to make is Kyle Dubas heading into this season and at the deadline, he addressed every single need the fans asked for. 
Fans wanted defense. He went out and traded for Jake Muzzin, and he signed TJ Brody and Zach Bogosian. Fans wanted grit. He went out and signed Wayne Simmons, and he got Kyle Clifford last year. Obviously, I know that's a non-factor now, but it shows that he had the initiative to do it. And, you know, he, he saw a dressing in the rack that lacked leadership. He went out and he got Jason Spezza and Jill Thornton. It's just every single need. Like, if, even if you want to go to the Compton backup goalie, he traded for Jack Campbell, and Campbell ends up taking the number one job from Freddie this year. Like, Every single need Dubas possibly could have addressed, he did. And another thing that he did is he went against, like, I, I know a lot of the old the old time fans and the traditional ones like to rip on him for being stupid fucking calculator boy who sits there and punches numbers and <laughs> just uses that to base all of his decisions. But he, went, he even went ahead, he even went ahead and went against his whole analytics mantra as well. He brought in guys with poor analytical numbers like Thornton and Spe- and uh, not Spezza, uh, Thornton and Simmons and Galchenyuk just because he knew that they'd yeah. be able to help in other ways. So he's literally done everything possible to try and put out just ice the best team possible. And in the end, he can't force the guys to show up and want to play. And I think that was the most disappointing part this year because now heading into the offseason, it's like what like what could he add to the team that would make them better and get them over the hump? I don't know if there's anything else he would like any other player on paper that he'd be able to add to push him over that. I think it's just a cultural thing and a mental thing at this point. Yeah. I was really hoping he was going to come out for his press conference yesterday and be like, okay, I did it your way. It didn't work. I'm doing it my <laughs> way next year. Well, and, but you know what though? Like that, that's what I'd rather see because like, I, like I am, I'm not like, uh, like, like Tanner or anything who uh, thought that Thornton and Simmons were like horrible this year. But I was against the signing initially too. Like I, I, I liked the Thornton signing because I fucking love Joe Thornton. Who doesn't? But like I, I hated the Simmons signing right away. And you know what? Like he, he proved me wrong for parts of the year. He wasn't great in the playoffs, but he also missed fucking six weeks. So who knows how much that had to do with it? Off of rehabbing an injury for years. Like I'm not gonna blame him. But I, like I was one of those guys where where Dubis went out and and made some of these moves where it seemed like there was like almost pressure from the outside to make these moves, and it's like. Like, I gotta be honest, like, I would have rather watched, and this is the first name that came to mind, I would have rather watched fucking Nick Patan play, like, eight or nine minutes than Simmons sometimes, because it was just, like, it felt like some of these moves were maybe a little forced, and I and I do almost kind of hope that that he just he just sticks to his guns. Like, what whatever he wants to do. If he wants to try and clone this team with different players, or whatever he thinks, like, I'm not one of those Leaf fans where I'm like, well, we're at a crisis point here. We kind of are. But, like, I'm not that worried about it. And, and, like, I guess the main point that I'm trying to make here is, like, the blanket of safety to this organization for me and the confidence of, of me being a fan is the fact that Brendan Shanahan's here. Because I think Brendan Shanahan at least has a vision. And I don't lo- – like, Kate made the point yesterday. I don't I don't love the Lou Lamorello era either. But, like, it got us to where we are, and then we move forward. And I like – I just like what Shanahan's done – and the fact that he is at least running the show gives me confidence that the organization is headed in the right direction and we're not going to do anything crazy. We're not going to fire Dubas. We're not going to freak the fuck out yet because yeah, even though this is incredibly disappointing and we should have better results by now, like I don't know that we really need to blow the thing up because when does no. that ever work, you know? No, and I think, Rarely. and you know what, I think a lot of that is just the knee-jerk reaction from Leafs Twitter after they after they lost. And, I, and you know what, you gotta breathe. I, I don't, I understand it. And people are gonna. I was one. I was one of those fans too. I was. I, I made a couple of pretty outlandish takes that I <laughs> wouldn't necessarily back up now. Um, 
but it, it did it did instill a little bit of uh, refreshment into me when I saw Dubas's press conference and yeah. or not just Dubas but Shanahan as well and they both kind of said yeah we have faith in this group and we're going to keep trying to make it work because it's you know I mean I, I a part of me wanted to see Dubas go out there and just absolutely fucking rip everybody not named Nylander Spezza and Campbell essentially but he didn't do it. And that's not Kyle Dubas. I didn't expect him yeah. to do that. He went out and I, I just truly, truly hope that the amount of faith that he's putting in his guys and his top guns um, ends up benefiting in the future. Uh, and I think it will. Uh, obviously, a, a lot of people are forgetting that this core that we're running with right now, they're 24, 25, 23 years old. Right. They've got tons and tons and tons of year ahead, years ahead of them. Um but I, I just, yeah, I, I hope Dubas does stick to his guns. And I do think that we got to give it a little bit before we start blaming personnel, especially Sheldon Keefe. Like I said that Sheldon Keefe needed to shoulder some of the blame for the way that he, you know, kind of refused to tinker with the lines down the stretch in this series. But ultimately, Sheldon Keefe's only been here for what, like a 110 games, maybe, including yep. playoffs. Yep. And in the time he's been here, he's he's been a phenomenal coach. Unbelievable. And the players love him and his ability to his ability to basically do everything that Mike Babcock didn't do. Mm-hmm. The, the, his ability to address things when they're needed. I know that kind of contradicts what I just said about what he did in game seven, but under a normal under normal circumstances, Sheldon Keefe will change his lines up. And I think he's a good players coach, and he's obviously won at every level he's been at. And Kyle Dubas, too. It looks it looks bad on him because this is the he's the GM he's been the GM for a couple of years now and he's made all these moves and it's all only resulted in a first round collapse yet again. But Dubas was only here for two or three out of the five years that this team has been choking well, in the first and that's, round. Of that's what I was going to say too. Is like this is really only year two where you mm-hmm. can clearly see Kyle Dubas <clears throat> thumbprint all over the team, right? Because yeah. even the first year and even parts of last year, he was trying to undo shit that we had to deal with because of Lou Lamorello or fucking even Dave Nonis, right? Like we, we are trying to undo these things. And now it's at a point where it clearly feels like it's his team. And you're right. Like he keeps the guy, like keeps my guy. It's one of those things where, yeah, like I don't, I don't love what he did in the series, but I rarely question anything about him uh, up until this point. And you're right. Like he can only shoulder some of it because yeah. Okay. Sheldon Keefe didn't tinker, but also Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner were given more than enough ice yeah. time to That's fucking true. make do with this. And also mm-hmm. like, you know, Dubas brought in Thornton and Simmons and, and Foligno and these guys to play a role and they didn't in the playoffs. And you can go on and on and on. And like you said, other than Campbell, Nylander, Spezza, Brody, uh, Kerfoot, I think that's everyone. Yeah. Like, you could really lay blame on basically everyone else, right? Like, you can point your finger with whichever way, but, and you're right, like, that's the point of your, your piece today was just like, what, what, what is the answer? Like, are, <laughs> are they all worth reading into? Are none of them worth reading into? Exactly. We come yeah. back with essentially the same fucking team next year and just chalk this up to a lesson learned, but how yeah. many lessons do we got to learn, right? Exactly. And that's what I said earlier on in the piece as well. I said, you know, Sheldon Keefe, as much as I say that he should share some of the blame today, he's probably only, he's probably like third or fourth on the list of people to blame, in my opinion. I think it all comes back to the stars. Um, And even like when we're, when we're talking about Kyle Dubas too, like he can't force the guys to go out there and want it. And a lot of people, I see a lot of people ripping on the fact that he signed Mitch Marner to 10.6. And all I have to say to that is 
the outcry from the fan base if he didn't sign his perennial 90 to 100 point winger would have been far worse than whatever he's getting right now. Yeah. And when in the in those negotiations, I don't think that Kyle Dubas expected Mitch Marner to be at the center of conversation two years from now. Two years from now. Yeah. And I don't think he expected Marner to be like, to go out and have these mental efforts like this. So I, I like Dubas. He, he's just not the guy that you blame in this situation. He gave the team everything they could. He gave the fans what they wanted. He went against his own beliefs and he brought in guys that he thought could help the team in other ways. But in the end, the GM can't be the guy, the GM can't control what happens on the ice. He can't go down there and force them to go out and give a shit. Like if they don't give a shit, they don't give a shit. So um, Kyle Dubas. Yeah. He's, he's pretty much escaped any form of blame for me. I understand that there's that there's a notion where it's like, if the team fails like this, you got to blame everyone and it starts at the top. And yeah, I guess there's some merit to that, but Kyle Dubas did everything that he possibly could to ensure a long cup run this year. You don't trade a first round pick for Nick Felino if you don't plan on going the distance. Right. And it's just, it's just unfortunate that it transpired the way that it did. And I'm truly interested to see how he addresses this off season. Uh, now, Alex, we don't have a ton of time left uh, on our hands here, but I did want to get your opinion as a fan, because that's what we are at the end of the day. We're all fans here. Um, going back 2004, the Leafs, they lose in the second round to Philadelphia, but at the same time, they win a round that year, right? They get past Ottawa. It's a happier time. Since then, where does this year's Leafs team rank in terms of uh, disappointing playoff finishes? Because... Um, obviously there's, uh, three matchups that we had to deal with, with the Boston Bruins, uh, in there, there was the weird bubble thing we had to go through last year. Um, in the grand scheme of things, is this soul crushing beyond all belief for you or has it been worse years prior? No, this is, this is by far the worst year. I didn't even have to think about that answer. You know what? You, you, you look back at, you look back at game seven in 2013, that game itself was probably more heartbreaking than this playoff run, but the Leafs weren't the favorites in that series and it was one game that they choked and sure it was, albeit it was in embarrassing fashion, but I'm actually, this is a, this is a top, this is a topic of discussion for a whole other episode, but I personally believe that that game seven choke in 2013 was good for them in the end, because I feel like if they, if they advanced past the first round that year, I think they're tricked into thinking that that core of Kessel, Phaneuf and Reimer is good enough to sit, is a sustainable playoff team. And I think they go out and they make more moves beyond David Clarkson and Dave Boland and thus don't end up with Matthews and Marner. But anyways, I could ramble about that, but again, we, we don't have too much time left. So uh, <laughs> yeah, ultimately in the end, this year was definitely the most embarrassing and the most pathetic choke job I've ever seen, because you look at all the circumstances heading into it, the Leafs are in the North division and they were far and away the best team in the North division this year. They could have beaten anyone in this, in this division, in the playoffs. I think they, they have the skill to, they should have. Um, they made, they had the best team I've ever seen. This is the best regular season performance I've ever seen. And they were heading into the first round playing a team that was ranked 17 seeds below them in league standings and had an interim head coach. who didn't even use his fucking top players until game three. So yeah, this, this year doesn't compare to any other year. This year was by far the most embarrassing, you know, say whatever you want about the Boston chokes. I know it sucks seeing this team lose to Boston and choke a first round of them, but the circumstances combined with the team just combined with the fact that it was the fifth year in a row by far the, by far the most pathetic joke job of choke job I've ever seen. 
it's just Montreal came in with like no fucking momentum. Like they're a perfect example of a team that backed into the playoffs. I would watch their games, like basically every single one of their games. And every single time you'd watch it and I'd tune in midway through the first period. It's like three, nothing Ottawa and fucking Ray Ferraro is sitting there just being like, yeah, I don't know what Dominique Ducharme is doing with this team. Like, I don't get it. This is fucking confusing. I don't understand. And then fucking Gordon Miller would just be like, yeah, Carey Price is, he doesn't look like Carey Price. Like, I don't know what's going on with this team. And then they'd lose and it'd be like, we're going to murder this team in cold blood on national television four times in a row. And this is going to be fucked. And then it, it, at like no one point of, of the series did it look like that. That's like one of those memes where it's like, then the narrator voice comes in. It's like, oh, but Carey Price would be Carey Price. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, you know, and you know what? It's funny too, because to allude to what you were saying about how they backed into the playoffs after game four, just about every Habs fan of my life was like, just put us out of our misery, please. Yeah, honestly. People forget that, yes, the Leafs had a 3-1 series lead, but like Montreal, it wasn't just that the Leafs were doing well. The Habs were not doing well. Yeah, It's exactly. not like the Habs were coming out there and putting up a hard-fought effort every single fucking night. They weren't. The Leafs were the better team in every game. You could make the exception maybe game one they were, but fuck, they had to watch their, their captain die on the ice, essentially. Yeah. So you give them a bit of a pass in game one. It's just like... <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I just, I, I, I'm truly out of words to say anything about this team anymore. I, just, I've missed two I, games. I decided- I've missed two games the last two years. Okay. And they were both by choice. I had mm-hmm. to work the night of the David Ayers game. I knew what happened. <laughs> there was no way I was ever going to go back and watch that. I have even in <laughs> major quarantine boredom last year, I have never seen that fucking game. And I also didn't watch the last game of the regular season. Because it was there was nothing to gain from it. I'm like, I'm not going to watch this. So I've seen, and that Thursday that I was talking about against Montreal, that was the best game I've seen this team play in the last two years. And I figured that's what we were getting. And it no, it never got fucking close to that. And it was just one of those things where you're right. Like it was two. It was it was it was Toronto coming in hot, Montreal coming in cold, and it just seemed like the perfect solution to, to beat them in four mm-hmm. or five. And yep. yeah, it's, it's baffling how much, I'll, 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 sorry, go for it. Well, I mean, Toronto went up three, one. Do you buy anything about the Tavares injury? Maybe kind of sticking with them throughout the series, or do you think that they had put it behind them and this was a separate thing? I mean, I think, I, I think you really can just say it's the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's yeah. the reason why they lost. Um, I'm not trying to be that pessimistic towards my own team, obviously, but, and you know what? I have no doubt that the Tavares injury probably stuck with them a little bit. It probably sucked seeing him out and not being able to contribute. But at the same time, like what the the point that I have to kind of contradict that one is Tavares was skating and he was skating before game seven. So like, should that not have been the biggest motivation in the world to come out and play the best fucking game you've ever played? I don't know what more you need. I don't know what more you need than that happening. You have Joe fucking Thornton and Jason Spets on your team. Two of the biggest, like you need to win this guy a Stanley cup right now, guys. And they just still, for whatever reason, they were asleep for 60 minutes. And that's exactly, that's exactly what I'm getting at. Like anytime anyone says, Oh, you know, they, they probably just weren't, fully over the Tavares injury like it probably stuck with them sure it probably stuck with them but like what better way to shed that than to get him back in the lineup right yeah like it I, I don't know and just to allude to your point about not watching the Dave Ayers game I'll tell you right now I watched that game the 
minutes Dave Harris came into the game, I said, oh, this yeah. team's fucked up. <laughs> Even when they scored, they scored two goals right away. I, I forget who it was. I think it was Tavares and Pierre Engel both scored. So, yeah, because I, I, you know, even when they I have a horrible association goals, because I knew Engvall scored in that game and I never seen it. And every time Engvall scores, something bad happens until like his last few goals. But there was like, I remember seeing a tweet. It was like four or five games where it's like, here are the last four or five games he scored. And it's like, oh, they had a four nothing lead and they lost. And then there was the fucking Ottawa game and they lost it. And there was the Ayers game. And it's like, and I think a Columbus game too. And it was just like, holy fuck. Like, I think the only, game, I think the only, the only good game Engvall scored. And I think was his first NHL game, which yeah. I think was Keith's <laughs> first game as well. That's the only one. And yeah, it was just, it was just, I, I knew when it was going to happen, when it happened. Like even when Engvall and Tavares scored and brought the game or brought the team back into the game, I just, I knew there was no chance they were winning that game. But uh, yeah, I digress. Alex, uh, it sounds from the, from everything that we've sat here and talked with you about uh, that you don't have a lot of fun as being a Leaf fan, but, um, but we had a lot of fun with you today. Yeah. Um, thanks so much for taking time out of your day. Where, where can people, uh, you mentioned you got an article out, where can people find your stuff if they want some, uh, some more Hobson in their life? Yeah. Well, bold decision. If you want some more Hobson in your life, but if you choose to make that, uh, choose to make that choice, um, I, I write for the hockey writers. Like I said, I do leaf stuff for them. And then obviously when the time comes, I do uh, draft content and world junior content for them as well. So you can find my stuff there and uh, at Hobson a 16 on Twitter is where you can find me. And uh, that's pretty much, those are the two hot spots for, for my hockey takes. So perfect. I love it. Right on. Thanks a lot for having me guys. This was a lot of fun. You know, you say, it, you say I'm not having a lot of fun as a leaf fan. And I think there's, there's merit to that, but I, there, there are certain parts that are fun and this is one of them. So uh, yeah, I appreciate you guys bringing me on today. I had a good time. Absolutely. Okay, our, our thanks once again, uh, Alex Hobson, for sitting down and talking to us. Uh, what a professional. Uh, we never mentioned it, actually, on the uh, the interview on that one, but h- how we know Alex Hobson is through Puck77 that yeah. we used to write for. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, that place I had two articles on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had more. I was actually, I was thinking about it the other day, how I was, like, one of the four major people, like, writing uh, for, like, the trade deadline. The, the year that the website covered the trade deadline that year. And the other three guys that were writing about each acquisition are now, like, working in hockey, and I'm uh, I'm still here. Mm. I, I, yeah, this podcast doesn't count as working in hockey. I, I've, I've been thinking more and more about my time at Puck77, because I, I, I had a lot of fun. I just didn't provide a lot of content. So, right. um... I, I love I love both the articles I wrote, and it was also a blast covering the team that won the Stanley Cup that year. Yeah, that's so, crazy. Um, that's crazy. Were you the only Blues writer there? Probably. Eh? I was. I that's had an article. Fucked. I had an article that went up. It was the uh, it was the top ten Blues teams of all time, yeah. and and where this year's rendition fell in. And I posted it. And I, I'll never forget it because it was like the only time ever somebody commented on one of my posts, and it was like. <laughs> And the yeah, guy, I mean, in two articles, that's not bad. And and the guy was like, "This this team doesn't even belong in the same conversation as the greatest Blues team of all time." Wow! What are you talking about? Wow! You, you don't know anything. Fuck them. And and they won. Good. So fuck that guy. Yeah. That guy's probably working for the Blues now or something. So well, they didn't do well. So it's probably <laughs> you're closing in on on Good. something there. Um, speaking of not the St. Louis Blues, the Colorado Avalanche are up two nothing on their series against. The Vegas Golden Knights, who won 
a uh, by all accounts very boring game seven against the Minnesota Wild. Both mm-hmm. both events, uh, both the second round, the two games, and, and the game seven, we've yet to talk about on the podcast. So why don't we uh, let's let's do this in order? Wild Golden Knights game seven. Uh, any any takeaways from that series for you? I didn't watch game seven. It was on in my backyard. I had people over. We had a fire. Um, I didn't watch uh, anything that really happened other than the whole Ryan Reeves thing. Uh, the series was enjoyable. However, the games where Minnesota won were games that Vegas should have won, and, and the games where Vegas won felt like games where they were the better team. Like I, ex- For a seven-game series, I thought Minnesota was going to be better than they were in that series. So, Yeah, it was dirty, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I j- like, okay, we'll get to it in a minute, I'm sure, but like, Pete DeBoer had those comments where... Um, he referred to Ryan Reeves as the cleanest tough guy he's ever seen. And I, I sort of tend to agree with that because, like, Ryan Reeves has been in the league for a long time and really hasn't done anything fucked up. Yeah. And then these two things come along and I'm like, what the fuck is he doing? Like, I don't really get where this whole super dirty Ryan Reeves came from over the last week. But, like, every time I've ever watched him, i never really gotten that impression from him. But, yeah, I didn't like the crossbar thing. I hated it, and then I hated what he did in Game 1 even. Well, let, let, let's get into it then, because we've got the Colorado Avalanche up 2 nothing in the series. Uh, game 1, I believe it's a 7-1 uh, win for the Avs. Yeah, and a good game. Uh, they go to Game 2, and they, they squeak out an overtime win against against Vegas there. Um, but, yeah, game, game 1, Ryan Reeves, he's got the incident in front of the net with... Uh, Adam Graves, I, I believe it was. Adam Graves, yeah. Ryan Graves, uh, Ryan Graves. <laughs> Adam Graves, yeah. yeah. Ooh, showing my age. Uh, two two games for Ryan Reeves on the play. Uh, I thought it was very similar to the event uh, Tom Wilson and Artemi Panarin had uh, at the end of the regular season between those two teams. Um, very similar takedown, except the guy actually had his helmet on. So. The, the, the discrepancy between outcomes on plays that I thought were very similar was a bit surprising, I, I suppose, as far as I view things. I thought this was worse, uh, in a way. I sort of get the similarity. I think there's some key things that are different here, though, is, is that uh, it doesn't make one incident better or worse till I, till I get to the end of this here, but, like, Wilson with the Buchnevich thing was dirty, probably deserved something, didn't get there. The Panarin thing probably deserves something. Technically, the guy not wearing a helmet isn't directly against the rules, so that's why it resulted in nothing really happening. With the Reeves thing, like, he starts off sort of the same way on Graves where he's fucking hitting him to the back of the head. He reportedly pulled out a bunch of Reeves' hair, which you can't see on the video, but that seems to have come from not just avalanche sources basically uh so i think it happened and then the thing that really gets to me is that when graves is on the ice uh leading up to that point i'm not sure he did anything that directly leads to a suspension reeves was like kneeling on fucking graves's head uh which is a very controversial thing to do in 2021 and I took a lot of issue with that, especially coming from Ryan Reeves. So uh, I, ha- I had a lot of issue with it. I-, I thought Ryan Reeves should have got more than what he got. The fortunate thing for Ryan Reeves is that uh, I'm I'm not sure, but if he's a repeat offender, he's not a 
large repeat offender. So um, I think that probably helps his case a little bit. But I I had a huge issue with a 250-pound man kneeling down on Ryan Graves' head for several seconds, even if it was, you know, not super, super long. I thought that was gross. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I would have liked to see a lot more, but unfortunately, he didn't get it. Um, obviously, the league disagrees with, with, with me, uh, dis- agrees with you to some extent. Um I watched that play because I saw all, all, all the people on, online talking about, you know, Ryan Reeves always kneeing him in the back, you know, he's kneeing him in the head and all this. And first off, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. The, the knee was on, you know, on, on Graves. Um, I was expecting, based on the, the the takes online, that he was on the ice, like, feeding his knee into, into, into the side of the guy's head, which would be ridiculous. Um but as I watched it more and more, like, I was wondering, and I could be wrong, but is this a situation where Ryan Reeves pulls a guy down, he lands on top of him, and then there's a scrum around him, and, and how much room do you have to position yourself, in a way? Because th- th- this is one of my big problems with the NHL, and we're going to get to it in a bit with, with some other issue, sure. the thing that comes up, but... Something happens, something bad happens, uh, one team gets pissed off and decides that uh, everybody on the ice has to gather around the incident, and now we've got a guy lying on the ice that's vulnerable and is stuck in a, 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 a situation where he can't move, and now the guy that did the incident, he's being pummeled on or held or grabbed to try to enact some sort of instantaneous revenge now he can't move, and now we've got a guy at the bottom of the dog pile, so to speak, that didn't have a chance in the first place. That That's kind of where I, as I watched the video over and over again, thought, like, yeah, he's mm. on him, but did he mean to be? And if he did, does he want to be there in the first place? Because you're exactly right. Yeah. For Ryan Reeves to make that move makes zero fucking sense in 2021, right? So, yeah... I, does, I don't know. Does ten like, guys being around him have no, anything to do with it? I I mean I get where you're coming from. I don't I don't agree with you. But um, the thing is is that uh, I'm not sure you directly alluded to it. But like there there is so much with these plays uh, because there are so many people involved in like hockey Twitter now. Obviously, it's the reason we have two guests this week. Um, that eventually everyone sees a replay. And a lot of times they are slowed down to the max. And it is easy to look at a slowed down version of a play and be like, wow, this guy should have done something different. When it was in, you know what I mean, you watch the video, it's like six seconds long, but this is like a second and a half decision. Or in the case of the Ryan Reeves thing, like, you know, six seconds looks like 20 seconds when you're watching it at a certain angle. So, yeah. like, thing, things look a little more fucked up. Depends the first person who tweets it out. The language they're using, too, I think makes a big impact. But to me, I, th- I think I saw enough footage of it where, to me, it seemed like a conscious decision that Ryan Reeves made. And I don't really know for sure that he would look back on it and be proud about that. You know what I mean? Like, that that's where I'm at. Is like, I'm not sitting here saying that I think Ryan Reeves is a shitty guy. But I think what he did in that moment was, was gross. And that he, he should have got more than that. Um, 
but it, it doesn't mean that a guy doesn't learn about it and it's not like he was maybe trying to fucking kill Ryan Graves or anything like that you know what I mean like hmm. I, I'm, I'm saying it's possible for a guy to do something fucked up and also have some redeeming qualities to him but I still think that the thing deserved a lot more than that uh, regardless, the Avs are up 2-0 in the series. We go back to Vegas for Game 3. Um, what do you think of Vegas' chances here? Because they, they obviously they go and they start Robin Leonard in Game 1. Yeah. The guy that sat on the bench for a while. Doesn't look good now. I, I, I think a lot of that had to do with Marc-Andre Fleury saying, you know, I, I, I can't at 36 years old had do to, this game in and game out. Um, he looked pretty good in Game 2, I thought, Marc-Andre Fleury. He, he looked like he... Didn't really miss a beat. Went to overtime. Yeah. Didn't go their way. That's the tough thing about where they're at, right? Is because that team is built around two unbelievable goaltenders. Two guys that I think are indisputably top five goalies in the league. But, like, Leonard's never really had to sit on the bench the way that he has over the last month. Like, this is the first time Robin Leonard's been a backup goalie since he was in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. And you, you kind of sit there and it's like, is he a guy who maybe kind of like James Reimer, like, really likes to get into a rhythm? And when he's not in that rhythm, he kind of gets cold yeah and you know i didn't watch game one but like from what i heard leonard wasn't good as much as like colorado was unbelievable like it was kind of both vegas was bad and yeah it just kind of both like i watched game two last night Mm -hmm. and don't get me wrong colorado's unbelievable but vegas was for sure the better team last night like they controlled play like 80 percent of what i watched it's just colorado's so fucking good that they could play good for 20% of the game and still beat, like, one of the best teams in the league. And yeah. they did. I, I think a lot of it, too, has to do with, like, if, if you're going to play... like if, Sorry, if you're going to give Marc-Andre Fleury a break, it, game one is the game to do it. Because that that's the game both teams are going to be feeling each other out, and you're on... It's tougher to argue when you're up 3-1, and you sit him and you lose fucking game... Five. Absolutely, and you lose Absolutely. all the momentum, and it's yeah. like, well, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you know what I mean? So I get it. You know, they're they're between a rock and a hard place. Like, they go to a seven game series that I think they didn't really think were going to be seven games. And yeah, That's credit big, big credit to them. I didn't think they were going to beat the Wild, but they did. And yeah, I don't know. You're you're right though. Like, if it's going to be a game, it's game one in a way. But now they're stuck down to nothing, and it's like, well, I mean, you're going back home, and that rink's going to be rocking. But yeah. like, you know. You're are still we, playing Colorado. I don't know. Are we are we getting six or seven games out of this, or do you do you think maybe we've we've got a, a four or five game on our on our hands here? Eh, I could see it going either way. To be honest with you, I'll, I'll put it this way: I find it hard to believe Vegas wins the series at this stage, but I I could see them forcing seven for sure. I, I'm really high on Vegas. I think Vegas is a good team. I really like Flurry. I think Mark Stone's like the best winger in the league. I love their defense. So yeah, I don't know. There's a lot there. There was a lot that I liked watching the game last night. But Colorado's up to nothing. Colorado's still Colorado. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, that brings us to the uh, the East Division, which is currently tied at one between the Islanders and Bruins. Uh, I believe Game Three is ongoing as we speak. The Bruins up one nothing over the Islanders there. Um. On a scale of molasses to hemline dresses, has it been? Oh. Where, where where does this fall on the boring scale? I I haven't watched even the highlights of this series. <laughs> I don't I don't honestly. Here here's how fucked up. Here's how far removed I've been from this series. Are they playing currently? Right now. 
So they're on opposite nights of the Leafs, and I just haven't watched. Yeah, that checks out. Okay. I don't know why, because I like. I actually really like this matchup. It's been boring. Oh, I just assume it's the Islanders and the Bruins. Well, the Bruins are fun. It's been like three, the Islanders are not as boring it's been as they like used three to be. Three straight two to one hockey games. As no, far as I, I thought tell. game one was like four or three, wasn't it? Am I wrong? I, I, well, I didn't watch them. Maybe there were three or three or something. I don't know. I think, okay, maybe maybe I think this series has been exciting for one reason and one reason only. Is that I did see a highlight of a goal. I don't remember who scored it. But there's like 18,000 people at TD Garden. And I'm like, wow, that's crazy. Because like, it's one thing to see like a packed rink in Vegas. You know what I mean? They're fucked out there. But in Massachusetts, I think of them as like kind of level-headed. And to see like a fucking packed rink. Well, it's like, it's like 70% liberal. Uh, to see, like, a packed rink there, I was watching it, I'm like, that is insane. You know what I mean? Uh, game, so maybe I think it's more exciting than it is. Game 1 was a 5-2 Bruins win, and Game 2 was a 4-3 overtime win for the Islanders. Say that again? Game 1 was a 5-2 Bruins win. Yeah. Game 2 was a 4-3 Islanders win in overtime. That sounds exciting. Now sounds he, like it's been good. Now, here's the weird thing. Um, you talked the about shots them, have them been 10 to 9. Knights oh, dear. The Leafs. Uh, that is not true. Uh, so I've just game one and two were on the same night as the Leafs. And they had like a two day break. They had an extra day off. You know, oh, good for so, them. Yeah. Okay. Oh, what's the score of the game right now? One nothing Bruins after two. Oh, that sounds boring. I mean, it's a road game for them, so it's a good thing. <laughs> that is I true. think. Uh, I mean, my thoughts going into this series, I I think the Bruins win in five or six, and the fact that they split the first two games, I'm not overly shocked here, even though I didn't see it. But uh, I, I think the Bruins have another gear to them. I think they've got a lot of guys that are healthy that maybe weren't for a lot of the season. And, um, yeah, I mean, t- Taylor Hall's rolling, too. So, um, yeah, I, I like the Bruins in that series. I, I I always bet against the Islanders. You know what I mean? I, I, they, they continue to prove me wrong. So maybe they win in six or seven. But um, I, I, I think the Bruins win the series. Well, they'll have to do some catching up today if they want to uh, take the lead in the series. In the Central Division, okay. we've got two teams that are Ooh, not the very... Discover Central. Yes. Yeah, I'm going to discover what the matchup yeah. is. Uh, the Tempe Lightning are up oh, right. two to nothing on the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, I've watched part of the series. Mm. I saw about four or five minutes of okay. one of the games. Yeah. Um, Peter Morazic has started Game Three for the Hurricanes. Score. They are currently winning two to one, halfway through the second. Um, if you would have told me in 2015, 2016, okay, Peter Morazic would be a starting goaltender in the National Hockey League okay. in 2021, I would have told you to uh, lace up your dress, good sir. I like that. Okay. <laughs> I don't think it made any sense. Like, I, like I just, I don't, I don't get how I, the, the goaltending thing was weird to me. But I didn't watch the first two games. It's just like, I guess, like I just refuse to have faith in Peter Morazic, even though I really like the dude. Like, I like the dude, but like, he steadily over the years has become more of a Tim Thomas type, where it's just like he has no fucking technique and he just slides around and the puck stays out, and it seems to work for him because he still has a job in the National Hockey League. So um, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Maybe he's one of those guys where they want to play in front of him and they play better when he's in net? I have no idea. It just makes me feel bad that James Reimer isn't even, like, on the bench. <laughs> That's I mean, the guy you should want to play for. In in your heart of hearts, though, do you think Morazic is better than James Reimer? 
I, hon- I don't. I honestly think it's a it's a coin flip. I I don't. I think Reimer's better, but yeah. like that doesn't mean that he's the guy you go to. You know. I don't know. Anyway, uh, my thoughts on this series. Uh, it's I mean two nothing Tampa going into this discussion. Anyway. Going home, right? I where they're losing, but I I have a hard time betting against Tampa. I had my doubts going into Florida series. They proved every doubt I had wrong. Um, I really like Carolina, but I think I think Tampa Bay shakes this out. And I mean they're losing right now. I I, I honestly kind of think Tampa in five. Maybe I don't know. I think I think I'm really high on Tampa now. Here, I've changed my mind. Here's where I go. I I think the Hurricanes hang on to this game, game three. Okay. They win. The Lightning win the next one. They go up three to one, and the Hurricanes four seven. But hmm. once you get to seven, take. Yeah. I think it's a crapshoot. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's hard. It's just hard for me to believe. There's only one team in the league at this point that I feel good about maybe beating Tampa Bay in a seven game series, and it's fucking Colorado Avalanche. So. Hmm. Yeah, no, I'm taking Tampa. And that brings us to the lowly North Division. Oh, yeah. The highest of the lows, if you will. Um, yeah, no, good matchup, for sure. Oh, yeah. Instead of instead of Austin versus Connor, we get um, Kerry versus Connor. Yeah, the Connors. That still works. Uh, the uh, Montreal Canadiens won game one, I'm told, but nobody's talking about that because something <laughs> else happened. What was the final score? Was it 5-3? 5-3. It was 5-3? Yeah. I didn't even know I hadn't scored the goal till like, later on today. Because that's how little discussion there was around, like, mm. the game. Interesting yeah. how that might have played a factor into the overall narrative of the event. But, um... I don't know what you're referring to. Well, you know... Um, Habs up one nothing. Mark Shifley has been handed a four-game suspension for his hit on... Sorry, Jake Evans, I think is his name. It's Jake Evans. I don't even know who this guy is. He's uh, the guy that Montreal threw in, and then the Leafs were like uh, 0-3 when he played in the series, which I thought was kind of neat. Cool. Because there was the joke about how, man, the Habs are missing Jake Evans, some guy tweeted out. Might have been like Jack Todd. And all of Leafs' Twitter were like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? And then he comes back and like <laughs> they fucking win like every game with him in the lineup. I'm like, oh, okay, well, we can't laugh at that anymore. Mm. Well, he, he he won't be. Uh, well, he might be. I don't know. He's got a, he's got a concussion. I don't know if he's back next game or not. It's hard to say. But um, yeah, Mark Shuffley, four games for his uh, hit on Jake Evans. Um, I'll let you get the uh, the consensus take out of the way because I, I I believe you fall in the category of people that think this is a four-game suspension, but... Uh, no, I don't think it's a four-game suspension. I think it's a lot more than that, unfortunately. Um, I love Mark Shifley, and, I, and it was kind of a bizarre thing to, to see it happen. Like, he's de- he develops more of an edge as the year goes years go on, and I think that that's really cool. I think Mark Shifley's become more of, like, uh, uh, you know what? I might have to say it. Like, almost like a rich man's Vincent LeCavalier in many ways. Like, he is really taken this whole two-way center thing to heart and I think he's a lot better than people give him credit for so um I really like the dude and um there were just some things about it that seemed odd from what he was trying to do first off my issue is that at, at no point of the play did it look like he was trying to stop the puck which should have been the main concern in a game that's you're trailing with 65 seconds left I don't know what throwing that hit is going to do if the score is going to be 5-3 uh, even if it ends up being a clean hit. 
So that was the first part for me that it definitively seemed to be predatory. Now, there are some issues with the whole charging thing because as much as he, there, you can't argue he takes like 15 strides into the hit and then sort of glides, but he built up his, his momentum over 190 feet. But how much of that was the back check and then maybe he just didn't think? So, like, that's the part for me where I kind of see, you know, not throwing the fucking book at him and throwing the guy in hockey jail. Because, like, I don't really know that he was trying to kill him the whole time that he came back. But he certainly knew the speed he was going in with and he made the decision to hit him for me. And I, I thought, uh, I thought he caught pretty much entirely the guy's head, which is the third thing I would say. So, to me, I, I'm not saying that Mark Shifley was trying to kill the dude, but I'm saying it was... That was one of the worst hockey hits I've seen in uh, 15 years, I would say. That that was a horrible, horrible hit. Hmm. It's it's eight plus for me for sure. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm 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 certainly not saying it's like defendable, but <laughs> like I do love a good defense that starts off with like, listen. My client look, is in the wrong here, Look, judge. the glove did However, <laughs> so, like, let's just... Look, I know he owned the house and all of the murder weapons and has no alibi for that night. But, Your Honor, what there's about a... judge not lest ye be judged? Huh? There, there's a few factors at play. Well, he's for, a judge. For, for me, okay? Yeah. Uh, first off, the consensus of everybody, be it fans, media, whoever seems to be that Mark Shifley shouldn't have even left the offensive zone because the very the very act of back-checking was going to result in something that was unavoidable. Like, we, we act like we want the guy to give up on the play. I don't understand that. See, and I'll say this quick just to interject, too, is, like, this took over hockey Twitter to a level that I haven't seen in quite a while for a hit. Yeah. And the amount of takes is probably insane. Like, I can't imagine I saw, you know what I mean, 3% of what was out there even. Mm -hmm. Because it was like, you know, the whole narrative of Mark Shifley's on steroids. Like, that was a thing that happened. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it was just insane to me. So I'm sure you saw other things that were fucked up. But anyway. So, Mark Shifley is in a one-goal hockey game in the playoffs with his net empty with about a minute left in the game. He thinks that he can beat Jake Evans to the to the net to, to prevent a goal. Now, watching this play, as I've done about a hundred times since it happened, Jake Evans glides wide with the puck to a point that opens himself up for the hit. And Mark Shefley has two options. When he comes from behind the net. When he starts going behind the net, right? Not when he's coming back nope, around. By the time he's got the puck. Because he doesn't get the puck when he goes behind the net. I don't, yeah. He gets the puck at the other side of the net as it bounces off the boards. Okay. Okay? So, Mark Shuffley has two options. I, I can try to poke away the three-inch item off a guy's stick, and I might miss. And this guy might score a goal on me that's going to end the game. Or I can try to play the body. Now, here's the problem. I have just skated my hardest down the ice to back check to prevent this goal. If I throw the body... I'm coming in with a lot of momentum. Yes, that's a charge. A lot of people seem to have this misconception with 
the rule that something about strides comes into there's no no mention of strides in the rule of charging there's got nothing to do with uh, slowing or gliding into the hit that that does not appear in the rule of charging if if you hit a guy at a high speed violently that's charging okay so i am i am fine with the idea that he charged jake evans okay mm-hmm. And charging is a, a suspendable, uh, suspendable offense in the NHL. So if you want to give him a game or two for charging, so I'm assuming you looked up the rule. Like, oh, where, yeah. did, where did the whole three strides come from? Is that a minor hockey thing, that, that, or is that the old charging NHL rule? No, that, that, that was a thing. Never in the NHL has the number of strides mattered in a charging hit. So if you've got some media guy online that you follow that says, "Well, he stops," skating. no, like it used to be in like the video games and shit. Even like I, I like I thought that was a literal written rule at one point, but maybe it's not anymore. Yeah, the number of they strides... may have changed it because because I don't know in a fast game too. Like uh, I'm just saying, maybe mm-hmm. they changed it because three game three strides now is different than three strides twenty years ago. Guys yeah. are a lot more. Powerful. The, the, the number of strides has never existed in the NHL rulebook. So okay. It, it could be a minor thing. It could be a fabrication of our imaginations that some guy in the 70s decided mattered. And every time it got called, that was the, the result. So if, if you want to suspend Mark Shifley for charging on this play, I'm, I'm 100% on board. Give him a game or two. I don't understand how we got to this point where he's being talked about as Rafi Torres 2.0 or Dale Hunter 2.0 because he happens to be fast like are, are we going to we're going to suspend the guy because he's fast no that, i'm going to suspend seems... a guy because there are literally three reasons on that hit that were all like egregious I, I i see one he charged the guy he charged him and and that was it he didn't leave his feet before the hit he didn't target the head uh no the... i'll give you the leave the feet like he leaves the feet during, which is different than well, which before. Is, which is, sure. Yeah. Which is every hit. Yeah, for, it, for the well, most part. Yeah. yeah. Like, Evans hits his head on the ice. It's very unfortunate. Like, don't yeah, be five foot nine. Again, the, I, I don't know. the aftermath like, is, not, is not the issue. Right. right. So, and I think a lot of people see that and, and think that that is, that is the bulk of, of the argument here. Because I don't see how Jake Evans walks with a concussion from this hit if he doesn't hit his head off the ice. At that velocity, no, I, I see. You know, and that, like that's a thing too, though. Is like it goes back to what we were talking about with the Reeves thing. Is like there, there have been enough times where I watched the first time I saw it at high speed. I'm like, oh, he hit him directly in the fucking head, hmm. and then I watched it more times and slow it down. And it's like, yeah, it's directly to the head. You watch at high speed, and it's directly to the head to me. Like, but head down, you know, how much is that Shifley's fault? How much is that Evans's fault? I'm just saying. It's like three things for Shifley for me where it's just like they all sort of add up to like an incredibly predatory hit to me. And for me, it's, uh, it's, it's, it, it is shocking to me that he's going to play again in that series. And I, I highly disagree with it. Well, it's assuming but, that the Munchauk Canyons don't win the series in, in, in four or five, I suppose. Now the Jets will win in five yeah. without Shifley. That'll right. be great. Yeah. <laughs> No, I I don't know. Like there 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 have been a lot worse plays as my like if if we're gonna give Mark Shafley four games for this hit, I'm I'm very surprised that we're not even gonna discuss Eric Stahl hitting Alex Galchenyuk in overtime a couple nights ago. Like that was a worse hit for me than than what I saw out of Mark Shafley last night. 
Yeah. I'll just leave it at this. Uh, I understand Thunder Bay connections and all, but Eric Stahl is not a guy I want really mentioned on this podcast anymore. I got a lot of fucking problems with that guy, so. Hmm. <laughs> they all stem from that series. It's not like he's a bad guy. But. Funny funny how that didn't get a, a, a mention anywhere for the Department of Player yeah, Safety. Know, but... that, that's not even my biggest issue with him in that series, but anyway. Yeah, I don't know. I, I thought it was a bad hit. Um, oh, a bad, a bad but, hit for sure. But at the but, end of the day, again, like, I think the the charge is... is the I would have been upset with three, put it that way. Like, four to me was kind of the minimum. The number mm-hmm. for me is seven or eight, but... Um, have you met the Department of Player Safety? Well, in my <laughs> world. <laughs> that's the number. <laughs> so moving forward, where, where does this series go? Um, Connor Hellebuck did not look oh, spectacular last night, and he... He, by all accounts, is going to have to be every bit of good that Jack Campbell was uh, <laughs> uh, to, to get past this team. So, I mean, here's the thing. Like, ordinarily, I would say that uh, that Winnipeg is fucked without Mark Shifley. But they happen to be playing the only team in the playoffs that I think they can beat without Mark Shifley. So, like... Funny. Yeah. Like, where do I think it goes? Uh, I would have had Jets in probably five. Although I understand how the... Habs win this series. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say that I think the Habs are still dog shit. Like, now they're up against the Jets. It's a lot different of a matchup than them playing Toronto or them playing Edmonton to me. Um, I, I'm i going to go Jets in, in six or seven, but I think uh, that hit gives Montreal some motivation that I wouldn't have loved them to have if I'm a Jets fan. So Habs in four. <laughs> Fair enough. Um... That brings us to our overrated, underrated favorite, least favorite for this week, yeah. uh, which uh, should have probably been garment related, but we we didn't we didn't think oh. about that. Yeah, yeah. Favorite clothing items that we own, and then it's like show and tell. So yeah, you got to go to YouTube for the rest of this. F- favorite costume designs from the Friends reunion that they awkwardly trotted out at the end. Uh, I didn't watch the whole thing. I mm. did only watch like the yeah. first hour. And Gets whatever. real cringy at the end for sure. Does it? Yeah. Oh, why? They they do this like weird like catwalk with like famous people wearing famous outfits from the show. What's the point? Nothing. There is no point. Well, there was no point to the reunion in general, I guess. They have like there. There's a some. I'm watching some... the whole thing. I'm like, I'm enjoying this, but why the fuck are we doing this? Oh, it's <laughs> just so they can all get two million dollars and yeah, uh, survive. Just, yeah. Good for that. I mean, Matthew whatever. Perry's been in a dark place. Okay, uh, no, it was literally like Justin Bieber shows up wearing the Spudnik costume and like does a catwalk thing, and then I they think like I know that joke. They bring out the holiday armadillo, and it's some model wearing it, and it's just like, why are we doing this? It's, it's we don't need to do this. But. Okay. Uh, no, uh, we're gonna do non-alcoholic cold beverages. Now mm-hmm. that's not to, su- to suggest that we are alcoholics. Because we can enjoy a good cold beverage from time to time that doesn't have booze. Yeah, I, I don't really. I don't drink a lot of cold beverages other than water, I guess. Not a milk guy in the morning? No. I can't remember the last time I had a glass of milk. I had a glass of chocolate milk last year. I have a glass. I have a half a glass of chocolate milk every morning. Can I ask you something? You How, <laughs> how much of the fluids that you ingest before 3 p.m. are water? Um, it's just milk and coffee, isn't it? Before 3 p.m.? Yeah. No, like, I, I definitely have a couple glasses of water with lunch. Wow. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen you drink water other than when we played on a hockey team together. <laughs> and that's like... That's like... That's how, fair. How come James's water bottle gets filled up separately <laughs> from the rest of the team? Why is this jersey all brown? Oh, <laughs> keeps spilling chocolate milk all over it. Um, 
Yeah, non-alcoholic cold beverages, sir. You're overrated. Iced tea. <laughs> it's iced tea. I never know what the fuck it's going to taste like anytime I get it out at a restaurant, and I certainly don't drink it at home, really. Like, it's just like... If the odd time I have bought, like, a 6 or 12 pack of, like, Nest tea. I don't, I don't hate Nest tea. It's not as sweet as, like, brisk, I find. I don't hate it. But... Every time I order it at a restaurant, I am not satisfied with it. And I... I enjoy it, but I think it's overrated because I think it's very popular. It is popular. Um, Most people I know love a good fucking iced tea. They love to fuck up an iced tea, you know? I get it. We had a lot of swearing. I wonder if that had anything to do with the Leafs. I get a craving once in a while for an iced tea. Sure. But usually it's a Long Island, so I don't, <laughs> I don't know. They are not the same thing, my guy. Um, there's about four shots of tequila in the long... Um, my overrated is uh, any energy drink. I, I don't really oh, get it. Oh, fair enough. I don't really get it. Like, I've had I've had good ones, I've had bad ones, but, like, I got one buddy that, like, he drinks three or four of them a day, and it's like, I don't, like, are you that tired? And he's like, no, I, I like the taste. You like the taste? That's... It's not really the selling point of an energy drink. I don't. I don't really understand why you would do that to yourself. But yeah, energy drink for me. Yeah. Friend of the show, uh, Jared Paltola, drinks like four energy drinks a day, and it is just his reasoning to me when it first became a habit was that well. This is how I am coping with quitting smoking. And my response to him was, your body would probably prefer it if you kept smoking. Because that's how fucking horrible those things are for you. Especially when you're not drinking water, because he doesn't. That's fair enough. I don't really, I don't like energy drinks. But I almost don't consider them uh, an entity. Mm. Almost, you know what I mean? There's a whole racing team named after them, apparently. In, in Formula One, so. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my least, or sorry, my underrated is uh, ginger ale. Underrated? Yeah, that's fair. I, I was, think ginger ale is the bird. is the best pop for mm. me. Like, I really like it. It's close to my favorite, but like, I don't really think it gets considered uh, a legitimate soft drink. I think it's more looked at as the thing that your mom brings you half room temperature. Yeah, when you're not feeling well yeah. when you're a kid, and a lot of people shy away from that, and that that's fine. But even when I was sick, I was like, mm, even if it doesn't help, I'll fuck up a ginger ale kind of thing. You know how eight-year-olds talk? So I really enjoy ginger ale. Mm. I think it deserves a little more clout than it gets, and I'll, I'll go with that. Now, now to build off that a little bit is um, I don't have it as underrated because I think the very fact that your mom does bring it to you is like giving it a, a Moms a everywhere love it, so it's like a... Yeah, yeah. It it's should a pla- be direct- there's a platform there. It should be do- like recognized by the FDA as like a legitimate <laughs> right. illness. It's a cure for yeah, exactly. something. Yeah. Um, but I will say this much: um, when I was like 19, 20, first getting out to the bars and all that, nice. Like uh, a, a, a rum and coke was my my go to. And as I've as I've aged, I, I love I love a good Ryan a Ginger. Ryan Ginger. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Wow. <laughs> no, the rum and coke, man. 
can can I just say it? Rum and Coke kind of sucks. No, I don't know if it sucks. It's well, it's definitely overrated. And maybe maybe next week we'll do our overrated and favorite least favorite uh, well, cocktails yeah, or something. It almost leads you to my yeah. least favorite anyway. So uh, my underrated is cream soda. Oh, that's fair. Cream cream soda is like the dessert of pops. Right? You only have it so right? often. Cream soda is like that one where like you show up and your buddy's got a barbecue for his birthday in June, in June and it's like, "Oh, we've got like the crush pack. What do you want?" It's like, "Oh, there's orange and like grape and like nothing else." So, I guess I'll have water and then like for whatever reason, the pink cream soda can will pop up out of nowhere. And, and you have to get it because you're like I'll, I'll, I won't see this can again for like a year I gotta have to I gotta have it now and then you have That's it great. and then you like no one's buying cream soda like no one goes to Superstore right. and brings them a case of cream soda it's literally that thing that you see in the wild in your youth when you're out and about at Timmy's birthday party and there's one left and you have it like that's fantastic I want six more but that's it yeah so Cream soda. I, I like a good cream soda. I will never buy a case, but I no, like it. I, I hear you. It's the same thing like Fresca is a similar sort of note for me too. Like yeah, Fresca is a yeah, thing. Okay. I've bought a couple cases of it and then most of it just sits there. Right. Um, but yeah. Okay. Um, now, there's an interesting thing here with my favorite. I have two. Okay. Now, one of them is going to piggyback on one of my other answers, but there's a reason why I couldn't declare it underrated. Okay. Now, the first one is not a soft drink. Uh, my my favorite cold drink, for sure, legitimately, and then I'll give my honorable mention, is just a Starbucks cold brew coffee. Mm. Like, like I don't really love iced coffee from typical places because it's very sugary, and I only really like sugar so much in a drink. Uh, actually, none, really. And so, like, a, like a cold brew's good, and you can fuck it up with a little couple little things for flavoring sort of thing, and... Uh, but that would be my go-to because during the summer, drinking like two hot coffees in a day when I'm working is like maybe not the move sometimes, you know. So uh, that would be my favorite. My honorable mention though is is uh, a cranberry ginger ale. Yeah, it it is a seasonal thing for like Canada Dry and Schweppes. Like at Christmas time, right? But if you look behind you in my kitchen right now, oh shit! President's Choice makes one. Oh boy, dude, it's fantastic. That is the only pop that I can like be like, you know what? I'll have one. Pop is almost a never for me yeah. at this stage of my life. Uh, hasn't been for a long time. I don't really like pop anymore. I drank too much of it as a kid. Same. Don't really care for yeah, it anymore. Same. So, um, yeah, I I do like a cranberry ginger ale though. I can fuck one of those up. That's fair. The 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 only pop I'll I'll say that I drink to this day, like as a rule, is when I go to the movies, I have to get a coke with my popcorn. That's I, fair. I don't, but I understand. It. I I used to drink, and, and you can attest to this. I used to drink Coca Cola like we wouldn't get a case again in Thunder Bay ever. Well, I'll get there, right? Um, but I can't drink it now. Like if I go home and have a can. Like, it's just, like, I get halfway through it, and like, ah, oh, no, I'm done. But, for whatever reason, I go to the movies, I get that large popcorn, and it's like, oh, what do you want to drink? It's like, yeah, it's got to be a Coke. I don't know why. It's, that's the only place I'll Fair drink enough. Coke. So, 
Um, to be honest with you, if I ever get a pop at the movies, it's often... It, like, sometimes it's a Coke. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, I go to the movies frequently enough and get a pop that... I, this was probably three years ago, the last time I got a fucking Fair. Coke at the movies. Fair. But I get what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, my favorite is the uh, A&W Root Beer yeah. Float. Uh, yeah. I... Something That's about that root beer float. A perfectly fine answer. Yeah, you, you you give me a root beer float from anywhere else, I I no can't do it. It's got to be A and W root beer with a big old scoop of ice cream in there. So yeah, that's my favorite. I've only had a few in my life, but wow. Yeah, they don't they don't like it's it's one of like I, I haven't been able to have one because they don't travel well. Yeah, obvious for obvious reasons. <laughs> so like unless ice you, cream <laughs> popping uh, yeah. in a fucking paper cup. Oh, so yeah. like unless you can sit down at an A and W and and have it. Like I used to work at a place where across the parking lot was an A and W, and on days where I was having maybe a rough time, I would go across and have a burger and an ice ice cream float and feel much better about myself. Can I ask you something? Please do. As a Harvey super fan, mm. was it hard to walk out the front door of that building and know that that was almost a Harvey's. We don't talk about My that. underrated. We don't, we don't talk about <laughs> or my least favorite. Our time. Yeah. Uh, look, there's no pop I've had more of in my life than a Coca-Cola. But at this stage of my life, I can't fucking imagine cracking a can of Coca-Cola and fucking drinking it. It's my least favorite. I have no idea how the fuck I used to drink that as a kid. I, I couldn't get through half a glass. Dude, again, going back to it, I can't drink a rum and coke because the pop is too fucking strong. And even when I press it, it's more water than it is fucking pop. And at that point, it's just a rum and water and it's disgusting. I can't drink it. I, I hate it. I think it's horrible. And uh, there, there's no way around it. Put it this way. The only time I've ever been able to get through a rum and coke uh, since I was like 18 years old is if it's a diet Pepsi press with rum. I can't fucking drink Coca-Cola. It is too sugary, and uh, I can't do it. Are you telling me that you're one of those weirdos that prefers Pepsi over Coke? At this stage, yeah, but I don't like Pepsi either. I guess I'm a dark sugar cola is what I don't like. Like, I don't like Pepsi either. I can respect that. No, I don't like Pepsi either. No, I guess just a dark cola, but Coca-Cola way more than Pepsi for me at this stage. I can drink Diet Pepsi with alcohol, but the, the alcohol's going to be doing the heavy lifting of the drink because I can't stomach the flavor of it. Because, like, for me, like, going back to my movies analogy, like, if I was to show up at the movies when we're allowed to go back in a year... Um, if we're lucky. And, and, and they say, like, oh, yeah, we've got Pepsi now. I, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not getting the Pepsi with the popcorn. I can't stand Pepsi. Fair enough. It's not my least favorite, I guess, but... I mean, it's sugary. Like, it probably tastes better. I'm just... I've become a lot less tolerant of, like, sugar in a drink form. I like my sweets. Okay. Like, you know what I mean? I like cheesecake and stuff like that, but, like, I can't fucking eat... Or I can't fucking drink it, really. I can't drink sugar anymore. Yeah. I drink black coffee. Like, I've... uh, In drink form, sugar is almost out. Except for wine. I think wine has sugar, so... Uh, My least favorite is... Seasonal. Cranberry ginger ale. And, well, shit, hard, hard no. <laughs> After being like, good choice. And, and I know some people will maybe protest this because in their mind it is an alcoholic drink. But they don't sell it that way at the store. I hate eggnog. 
Okay. I I cannot stand my sister. Strong will, disagree, but that's my fine. sister will buy eggnog in June. She if, found a place it, yeah. down. No, no, she well, found she a place will. down where she lives that no, sells it year round, up, and she will just buy it to have it in the in the fridge and drink it on on on, on will. And no, I don't like it that much. I really like it one month a year. I I can. I can have one if there's enough booze and nutmeg and whatever else oh, in it. I was making those, uh, those that eggnog drink we had at the restaurant. Yep. I was making those at Christmas, and I drank more eggnog this year than I have since I was and, like 16. And, and look, I can have one of those. Sure. But if you give me like a glass of eggnog by itself, I'm out. Sure. Never again. Disgusting. That's fair. I think that's a common take. Like, I don't really think you're fucked up for saying that. Cool. Uh, on another note, I do think you're fucked up for saying that. Because oh, wow. I love eggnog. But fair enough. Um, as we finish up, Brandon Carlo has left the game uh, with a concussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure we're going to talk about another controversial hit next week. And um, Was it the hit, though? Or is it still just what he's been dealing with since the Wilson hit? Um that's the difference, right? Could, could go either way, I suppose. Yeah. But we'll talk about it next week. We're yeah. off the clock now. Yeah, cool. Um, I I have been the man in the green girdle, James Cole. Mm. Uh, our thanks to both of our guests, Alex Hobson and Kate Atkinson, for joining us today. Yeah, and you can find their stuff in the place that they talked about in their respective interviews. That's right. Uh, I'm Buttons Bedazzlia. You can find me at Brutes Bataglia on Twitter and also uh, at the High Button. Okay. Thank you. See ya. Goodbye. I'm telling you, this place is perfect. You're going to make friends in no time. Get me out of here! Here, just eat that! Leave us alone! attention that you're no longer interested in the time that i've invested or the things that i say and i don't know your intentions but lately i feel the tension and i thought that i would mention that i will be okay just let me down i'll be okay just let me
obsession But we're left with no direction Still I want you to stay Guess I couldn't face rejection Or be then my own reflection Now I've got to face the question Were we happy this way? Just let me down I'll be okay Just let me down 